did you get caught in the torrential fucking thunderstorm yesterday? Uh, no, we were like playing Destiny and hearing people fucking scream out our window. <laughs> Why were they screaming? Is it, is it scary because it was a thunderstorm or because they were running around and having a good time? Uh, I think it was like because the heavens just fucking opened out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. And people were just out in like, you know, the the regular weather and then just, oh, God. Just God literally rained down on them and they, everyone just started screaming and running away. It's like someone just did a Skyrim dragon shout to change the weather yeah. or something like that and it just happened. Like, the problem is I did some laundry yesterday and I had like my bed sheets just hung up on a clothes horse mm. and when the wind started whipping up, my bed sheet nearly flew out the window. Oh no! <laughs> just when it's like, it start, you can see it floating just a little bit yeah. and he's like, oh, that's going to go, it's going to go. So I had to grab it and pull it back and Reminds me a bit of um, a friend of mine. Um, she had a car. She had this thing that her sister or um, something made in school. It's like a love bug, which is like a little thing to put on their dashboard on a um, one of those rubber sticker things. Okay. Do you like stick it to your dashboard? Yeah, yeah. And um, we were sat in the car, and I opened up the window, and they opened up <laughs> their window, and we're driving, and it caused like some sort of like air vortex, and you just saw it go Whoa, float a little bit, and then. And it happened so fast, no one could have reacted. It floated for what felt like a straight two seconds, and then said, whoa, out the window, which just looked and went, no! It's just gone. It's gone. And as I looked and went, I'm really sorry. I hope it wasn't important. My sister made me that. I went, oh, God. Anyway, welcome to episode 34? 35? If I say with a rising inflection, then no one will correct me. Yeah, I don't know. Thirty-five. I'm sure. I'll just look at the title. I'll be fine. I'm here today, as per usual. My friend Lucas. Say hello, Lucas. Can you try? And that, that threw me off a little bit there. And um, <laughs> what are you drinking today, my friends? I have a lovely bottle of San Miguel. Ah, how about yourself? Uh, I'm just chilling here with a little bit of wine. Look at that. You can tell it's getting to the nice weather when you're getting wine. When the wine comes out. I know. Yeah. Was it red wine though? Because red wine feels a bit heavy for today. Uh, it is red, but like, it's more just because that was what's in the house. Ah, oh, fair enough. Because I've got San Miguel, which always reminds me of summer. It's what I drank when I went to Europe with a mate of mine called Sam. And he calls it San Miguel. And it pisses me off every time. <laughs> it pisses me off because he looks kind of Spanish. Oh, he, has, like, he has like the wavy hair and the yeah. tan. And he, like, he likes walking around in his vest. It's like, oh, I'm going to get a nice bottle of San Miguel. It's like, damn it, Sam! <laughs> That's such a good... Fun. I respect it, but please stop. And how have you been this week, my friend? I have been uh, good. Uh, good? Just good? Yeah, I mean, you know, the world's still falling apart, as we say. Oh, it is, yes. Well, I think we spent two weeks talking about it. Like, let's just say, yeah, the world is still on fire. We're very sorry. Yeah, like, that's all we get this week. It's still on fire. Shit's still going, going wrong. Things are getting pretty real. But on a positive note, by the time people are hearing this, it yesterday Pokemon came out. Oh, okay. I was going to say, as a uh, just as to let people know, like when this comes out, it's probably worse. It probably will <laughs> so, be. Something worse has probably happened. I don't even know anymore. Like, I, I'm not. I don't think there's anything that would happen in the news that would surprise me now. No. Given all the things that have happened this year in such a short space of time, it feels like we've had multiple years worth of horrific news in the space of three months. Pretty much, yeah. It's been kind of insane. And one of the things that I've quite um, enjoyed and found a little bit amusing 
uh, is the amount of people like what happened to the murder hornets and oh, people yeah. like because that was a big news story for like a day and then it just didn't happen and there's loads of people like oh man yeah it's um, the arc wasn't really satisfying it was a plot <laughs> point that was introduced and people referring to 2020 as just a season of humanity that's really unreal it's like you started to go off the rails yeah like this is humanity's version of Game of Thrones season 8 where oh, no. shit's just happening without explanation and everything's <laughs> just like everything is shit in the bed completely and there's no uh, there's no rules anymore yeah just the murder hornets are coming and getting rid of it's like the Night King like, man, I'm still pissed off about Game of Thrones I think we all are like, I think about it every now, now and again and just get mad yeah but and man, thing, how did they fuck it up so hard they, they dropped the ball so I think, um, poorly. A they lot of fumbled people it. Are pointing out now, I thought, oh my god, this literal like cultural zeitgeist that was Game of Thrones, the hype dropped off so quick that just so- no one talked about it after. It happened while the show was on the air. Yep. The hype for it died like the third to last episode. People just stopped giving a shit. Yep. It's crazy. It crazy. And the way I've seen it summed up is that I've like it used to be the biggest thing in the world, and now nobody talks about it. it is yeah. an al- it's almost impressive how much this show destroyed its own pop culture footprint. Mm-hmm. It reminds me a little bit of like the film Avatar, uh, where yeah. people, it gets pointed out all the time that, man, Avatar was one of the highest grossing films of all time, up until Endgame came in. It was the highest, highest grossing until Endgame. And you ask people, can you name a single character from that film? And they go, no. <laughs> like, it had no pop culture like footprint whatsoever. It was like the biggest thing on earth, and no one remembers anything about it. People remember that the 3D looked cool. And that's it. And I've seen a lot of people talk about how basically the 3D is the reason that it's the highest, or was the highest grossing movie, because they essentially... Every single tickets. ticket sale, they got, yeah, like 50% or 100% of the, the price of another ticket. Yeah, so they effectively got um, double ticket price for almost everything because that's what 3D does, and that's one of the reasons they push so hard on 3D. Yep. And, but it's just, it's crazy to me. I keep saying we're crazy now, but it's, it's amusing as well like, to think <laughs> about this film that was the hottest shit in the world. It was a, a, a phenomenon. Yeah. And you fast forward just 10 years and you ask people, can you name a single character from this film? And they draw a blank. Yeah. It's, it boggles my mind. And it'll be on lists for pretty much till the end of time now. For as long as humanity remembers its um, uh, remembers the pop culture that's been created, Avatar will continue to be referenced on lists of like highest grossing films and things like that. And no one gives a fuck about it. That's the thing. Is, I think the only thing that anyone talks about that film... 10 years later... Is, is how much money it made. It made money. That's the it, only like point of note for that film anymore. Is And I still will never forget... I will never forget um, that the weird amount of Avatar fans that had never spoken up in the 10 years since the film's release, but the moment Avengers started closing in <laughs> on beating its box office record, all these Avatar fans came out and went, it's not fair. Yeah. Avengers doesn't deserve to get the amount of money that it's making. It's like, it's a 22 film arc. It's unprecedented what they did for Endgame. And Avatar just like farted out Blue Pocahontas and went, here's some 3D on it. 
Oh, man, I think I've mentioned before that um, there's a, an old writer for Cracked um, mm-hmm. that they made a joke in an article once where like, it was sarcastic, but you actually can't really tell sarcasm in text form, where it was, um, oh, yeah, um, they refer to Avatar as an original story, and the joke is um, something that's so charitable we should probably be able to write it off on our taxes. <laughs> so obviously, and people didn't get that joke, even though it's written down in black and white, and the sentence immediately after saying it's an original story is a piss take. Yeah. People, for some reason, didn't understand that, and that writer, to my knowledge, still, to this day, gets angry messages from people saying Avatar's not an original story, it's just dancers with wolves. <laughs> even though the line they're getting pissed off at, the line following it, is a joke. Yeah. And it's so obviously sarcasm, it's like, oh my, I feel so bad for them. Oh like, God. still to this day, get angry people messaging like, Avatar's not an original story. It's like, I know, that's why I made the joke. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, God damn it. Like, I can't imagine being, like, well, I suppose I'll probably get similar things from, like, YouTube videos and stuff, but the idea of being, like, a comedic writer and constantly, constantly getting messages for the rest of your life. Oh, did you know, like, this thing that you made as a joke? Is it's not, not true. true. And it's like, yeah, that was the joke. Yeah, um, it happened to me a lot during my writing days where um, uh, one of the articles that I wrote, I think it's uh, something like, oh, insects with superpowers. Right. So it's about insects that have weird superpowers. I think the one that I contributed to that was um, there's a species of spider that can cover itself in silk and dive under the water. That sounds awesome and terrifying. It does. And obviously spiders, and the reason that it ended up being on a crack site is because you expect spiders, like all insects are terrified of water. And like, this is a spider that can scuba dive. <laughs> the amount of angry messages I got informing me, helpfully, Carl, I don't know if you knew, but um, spiders aren't insects. They're arachnids. Oh, no. And it's like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> the amount of people who wrote in and went into the forums to complain about that title. I'm not sure if you know, but spiders aren't insects. Like, we fucking know, but it's the title. You've got to write a succinct title. We can't write, here are six insects three and three spiders that have superpowers. <laughs> yeah, and so, the thing is, like, what always gets me is that that is correct. Like, they are right. They are correct. Um, but if you say to somebody, like, oh, are you afraid of insects? So many people would turn around and go, I'm, oh, yeah, I'm scared of spiders. Like, I'm scared of spiders. And oh. it's um, similar to the thing of when you say Frankenstein to refer yes. to the monster. And then you'll get that smarmy dickhead who goes, well, actually, Frankenstein was the doctor. The monster is called Frankenstein's monster. So I know, but pop culture has evolved to a point where Frankenstein is now shorthand for the monster. It's colloquialisms, yeah. It is, yeah. And they and they think they're so smart for pointing out. It's like, I fucking know. Yeah. So you, you're dragging this conversation to a halt to let people know that you are aware of one of the most famous bits of like misinformation about that story. Yeah, yeah. There was a great quote that I really love about that where it's, um, intelligence is knowing that Frankenstein is not the monster. Wisdom is realising that he is. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, God, that, that happens so much um, when you're a writer because you, it's really difficult to like, speak generally. Yeah, if you yeah. Speak too, if you speak too generally, you'll get stuff like that. Of, oh, well, spiders aren't insects, they're arachnids. But then if you try and speak too specifically and get more technical, people will complain that it's not funny or interesting. Exactly, yeah. Well, it's too and I, like, would, 
I always do my best to try and like hit a middle ground, but it's really tough. And I've noticed immediately um, after doing like, you know, YouTube videos and podcasts and stuff that generally speaking, if I don't clarify after I mention something like, oh, this is just information off the top of my head that I'm trying to put together again and retell, it's not going to be 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. If I don't say something along those lines, everyone just comes at you. There's the thing as well, where even if you do that, even if you do that, people will still complain because oh, yeah. they will hear the first three seconds and then turn off. Like uh, a good example of that was, uh, I think we did a video about Doom. Yes. About Doom, where I um, incorrectly, admittedly, um, attributed the quote, um, story in a video game is like story in porn. Um, nobody expects it to be there and you don't notice if it's not. Mm-hmm. And I attribute that to John Romero not John Carmack, who actually said it. Ah, think, right, okay. And I think that's a fair... Um, I was half remembering that while telling a story about something different to that. Mm-hmm. And it's two people called John who both worked on the same game. Yeah, it's literally like they, they're they both renowned as like the two creators of Doom and they're both called John. And I forgot which one it is who said that. And admittedly, I made a mistake. But here's the thing. When I say that, like, as I am saying that sentence, on screen comes up a fact bar at the bottom. Carl is remembering the quote, but he's misattributed it. It's actually it's actually said by John Carmack. Which, when I'm thinking back on it, the clever quote, you should have probably assumed it was from Carmack and not Probably, Romero. yeah, but like I said, it's something... <laughs> like, looking back you, at it. It's, as you mentioned, it's something you said off the cuff and you don't remember the exact thing. And it was corrected live in the video. Yeah. And you could argue maybe you should cut that out. But then it's an interesting quote and it's corrected immediately and it's not all too detrimental to the actual content being produced. But the amount of people who reached out to me to tell me that quote was wrong. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, no, it says in the video that it is. It, it says in the says video. right there. <laughs> then we had another one, which was um, the film Jurassic World. Yeah. There is a scene in that film where a guy, um, when all the, the pterodons attack, mm-hmm. he picks up two margaritas and just legs it. Yeah. And I made a reference to that. Well, oh, there's a, have you ever seen like the hero guy in that film with pics with margaritas, like number one priorities on display? Mm-hmm. And I thought it was quite funny. And while that was being edited, Brad found out, oh, that's Jimmy Buffett, the guy who sung the song Margaritaville. And that's his restaurant. Like he owns a steak in it. Right, yeah, yeah. And it's a cameo because they put a Margaritaville stand in Jurassic World. So they offered him a cameo and he said yes. And he put that in a little fat bar at the bottom. Thinking, oh, here's a neat little extra bit of info people might like about that scene. Mm-hmm. The amount of people who went to the comments and emailed us and told both me and Brad um, <laughs> separately and together on stream and stuff. Did you know that guy was Jimmy Buffett? It's like, yeah, we know. It says in the video. Yeah. It I've, says um, right there. And you're talking to us if we don't. Know. Oh. I've had quite a few of uh, like YouTube lets you edit comments. Mm-hmm. And I've seen quite a few where it's like, oh, um, where they've clearly paused the video the moment we've said something. And, and then gone, gone by down. the way, did you know this? Edit, I've just continued watching. You are right, you correct yourself. It's like, <laughs> maybe you should watch the end of the video. I got a tweet one for it. It's like, um, I was talking about the Spartans. It's a subject I've researched a lot because I'm interested in it. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I'm telling the story of only Spartan men. And the only way to get a, a tombstone for a Spartan man was to die in war. And okay. then I um, quickly correct myself by saying, uh, uh, the exception to that being um, women who die in childbirth, because mm-hmm. that is seen as being just as important to Spartan society, because you died bringing another Spartan into the world. Yeah, and I got someone yeah. like, oh, I'm a history major. 
and I was about to correct you on that, and then you said it immediately afterwards. It's like, yeah, it's almost like researching stuff is my job and my passion. But there's no way to avoid it and it will happen. Well, that, I remember that Jimmy Buffett one really pissing off Brad because he put it in. It says on screen as it's happening. Yeah. And the amount of people who are rushing to tell him on Twitter is like, I fucking know. I put it on the video. Yeah. Or when like, uh, when he put stuff like, oh, it was an audio mistake. And we'll pin a comment to the top saying, we know what's going on. <laughs> We're aware of this problem. We're really sorry. And with an explanation for it, people will still go down. Scroll past that to leave a comment. <laughs> yeah, like, I think um, I did that when the focus on one of the wiki weekends yeah really we messed bad. it up well and we put it in the first five seconds of the video didn't we the first the, five the seconds first, like the opening of the video is like a big fat bar going like we know that it's out of focus we're really sorry but the audio is still fine top pinned comment and in the description all saying that we know we're aware and then all of the comments are just like why is the video out of focus it's like oh, god so you can never explain yourself with enough clarity for it to get through to everybody and it's it's amazing really it is yeah I've said before I want to grab those people by the shoulder and say you're great you're doing great money <laughs> you're doing your best because like oh we have that one where it's like oh, did you know that spider at arachnid it's like yeah I went to school <laughs> it's like oh Frankenstein's not the monster it's actually the guy like, yeah I went to school I did the, I read the book for the same essay that you did in year 10 I remember <laughs> yeah. It's a colloquialism. Man, I get it. Oh, he's been there. He's got the t-shirt. It's like that um, Great Onion headline. It's probably one of the strongest headlines that Onion ever did. Mm. Where it is, man gets a little rush of joy from telling people that John Lennon beat his wife. (laughs) Because it it, it perfectly describes. There are people who do that where every time you talk about the Beatles, where they get, you can tell it, they get off on it. Yeah. Of smugly saying, well, did you know that John Lennon beat his wife? And it's like, to make you feel bad. For enjoying the Beatles, it's like, oh, okay. I guess this conversation's over there. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, oh, man, like, like, it so perfectly like, encapsulates that, that kind of guy who I've got this one piece of knowledge that makes people feel bad and I like dropping it. And that's the thing is, you know that they just wait for conversations where it comes up and it's like, oh, someone mentioned the Beatles. Time for me to drop this fact that they'll never know. They'll never know this. Even though it's what, like, everyone knows that John Lennon was an asshole. And as you say, it immediately shuts down any fun conversation. Weirdly enough, though, we've had a real-life example of that last week in the UK. So over in the UK, we also have some Black Lives Matter protests going on. Uh, yeah, it's obviously as... less um, like widespread than it is in America. in America. We had some big ones in London, and there was a statue of one Mr. Winston Churchill that was um, vandalised with the words, um, so it says Churchill, and underneath someone wrote the words, is racist. Mm-hmm. And this is not something that's up for debate. Uh, don't bother sending me an angry message about it. Churchill was unequivocally a racist. Even by, even if you try and judge him by the like the ideals of the time he lived in, yeah. he was still horrifically racist, specifically yes. towards Indian people. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the worst things that he did um, while in power was actively... Um, like, uh, what's the word now? Exacerbate the Bengal famine. Yes, yeah. Because uh, the UK could have sent aid and Winston Churchill like, blocked all attempts to do that. And the Bengal famine resulted in the deaths of about 3 million people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so roughly half as many people as Hitler killed. So a pretty substantial amount of lives lost. And there's this awful quote attributed to him when someone asked him, do you not feel compelled to help your fellow man? Like, mm-hmm. 
guy who fought against the Nazis and fought against this exact kind of like awful treatment of people based on appearance and just prejudiced, bigoted beliefs. And there's a quote, something like, oh, the Indian will breed like a rabbit, whether or not there is a famine. Wow. And like, that's not a, an opinion held by people at the time. Like, that is like that, even by the standards people live by, then that's fucking awful. Yeah, he was so, an extremist even for the times. Yeah, so calling him a racist is not one, accurate, and two, not even that controversial, because it's a known thing about him. Yeah, it, it, well, the thing is, I will say, that yes, I guess it is, but at the same time, I found out a lot of stuff about Churchill, like after I left education. Because it's but one of the things that it's difficult to like, sell to It kids. is, but like in school, all I got taught was like, yeah, helped. Churchill was great and he saved us. Yeah, he helped end World War Two, and he did help end World War Two. but he was also a racist because people are complex. He also did fucking awful, horrible things. Yeah, and, and history isn't black and white. There's a lot of shades of grey, and, mm-hmm. like, and the leaders are not infallible, and they are, um, they, they're not like the perfect paragons of moral virtue. They're no. paid to be by history books, and it's dangerous to do that to them because then it's difficult to see them as people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, people got really mad about this. And uh, did you see? The, and a, a lot of right-wing politicians were very keen to jump on this because uh, there's one way to get people to rally to your side. It's like, no, nah, man, Churchill was great. Remember the war, that sort of thing. And I, I, I can't believe this is a thing that happened. But uh, some Tory politicians posed in front of the statue and pretended they cleaned it. And it turns yes. out that uh, a council worker actually did it. Yeah, but the council worker was black. So what happened was they got a black guy to scrub the monument of the words is racist, even though he was, yeah. and then took the credit for his work. It's the fact that just that picture... Of a black of guy like, cleaning it up. The black guy having to scrub the words is racist off a statue of and a guy take... that was unequivocally racist. Uh, yeah, he went into a lot too. He's also a bit racist. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because... Um, in response to this, you've got all the um, the, the right-wing uh, nutjobs from the UK going to anti-protests, mm-hmm. so counter-protests to the Black Lives Matter ones. And the reason I found this so interesting is because um, I believe it was the Metro or one of those other shit rags. Mm. Um, they uh, defined the protests as anti-anti-antifa uh, protests, which we mentioned on the last podcast, if you yeah. remember. Yeah, they actually, yeah. refer, I remember a lot of people from like, if only there was a more succinct way to say this. <laughs> and the reason that this is um, so wonderfully ironic is that these people who went there and I believe what they did is they gathered around the cenotaph. Uh, if people don't know, it's uh, the monument to the fallen soldiers of World War One and Two. Um, out with, we need to protect the cenotaph from these protesters. Mm-hmm. These are the men who they fought and died in World War One and Two. We need to protect and the legacy and the memory of the men who died during World War II fighting the Nazis. Mm. Um, all right shitheads in the UK gathered around it, got in a scrap with the police and threw out Hitler salutes. Yep. Because <laughs> nothing says I, like we need to honour the memory of the people who fought against the Nazis in World War II. Like throwing up a Nazi salute in front of it. Oh, fucking hell. The exact thing they fought against. And, Which is, um... oh. So America, the worst thing yeah. is, I think about those protests, is that, as you say, they got aggressive against the police, and I've seen a lot of people um, like on social media sharing either images 
or like quotes or articles of, oh, the Black Lives protests are getting really violent and need to stop. And it's like, no, this was the anti-BLM protest yeah. that got aggressive and started attacking the fucking police. And they were largely um, peaceful, except for a few minor instances of violence that were way overblown by the press. Yeah. And then in comparison, you have the entire protest, that's the counter-movement, um, immediately clashing with police because it's basically full of football hooligans. Essentially, it's football hooligans getting their shit out. And did you see as well, this is a great um, like, um, like headline that I think it just encapsulates just how fucking ridiculous um, they are. Where it was, there was a clash between people holding up a sign saying all lives matter and people holding up a sign that says white lives matter. Oh my God. Where they were clashing because it's like they don't agree with each other. I mean, just fuck them all. While, like, throwing, really? while, while throwing up Nazi salutes. Like, yeah, man. <laughs> anyway, I just thought like any Americans listening, like, I'm guessing your news cycle is dominated by American news. Like, I just like, let you know, British people are just as fucking stupid. Yeah, and we've got um, just as many dickheads do it, right, ruining it for everybody else as you do. So I just want to say as well, like, I know we said, you know, joked like, oh, it's football hooligans. But the worst thing is, like, it is, it is genuine, like, complete right-wing shit. But he's also football racists and fuck those out. guys. But. Uh, because uh, it is a thing in the UK where teams, like football supporters, will go to matches purely to start fights with people. Yeah, yeah. Like, we've made there are movies being made about this, and, uh, which weirdly, which weirdly glorified it. Yeah, it's one of those things. I think it's just oh, what are the biggest crowds that we generally get in like the UK? And in Europe in general, and it's normally like concerts or football. But um, the thing with football is it gives you a reason to be antagonistic against another team. So it's just where people generally go to get aggression out like against people for no reason other than they can do it in a big crowd and get away. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't think anything sums it up easier than the fact that um, some like between especially fierce rivalries, um, they have to bus in... Uh, spectators mm-hmm. in armoured buses away from the stadium yep. and cover them with um, like uh, barricades and things like that because rival fans will throw bricks at the buses it's crazy and they'll do that and they have to sit them separately because they can't help them from fighting and in Sheffield even where I live um, on derby days which are days when Sheffield United play against Sheffield Wednesday mm-hmm. um, pubs will just say no away fans no home fans because they know that if they let fans from both teams come into their pub at the same time, they will start a fight. Yep. And the most time, and when you, the time you will see a police officer in the UK is when there's a football match on, mm-hmm. because they have to deploy anti-riot squads and everything during football matches because they will fight and they have to get the police to escort people to trains and let fans and fans have to ride in specific carriages because they will get in a fight because it's football and it's like, oh yeah, I um I've seen it quite a lot. So I've been to quite a lot of football matches myself. But one mm. that really caught me off guard is I was um, just in, like, I think it was Chester train station. And there were fans coming over, like, f- to watch football and basically getting a connection at Chester. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened was we were just stood waiting for our train. The next thing we know, um, maybe, like, a dozen or so cops all showed up, including a couple of, like, 
um, guard dogs and stuff like this. And then you have your 10-foot policemen as well. You get the uh, the horse guys. Yeah, in. yeah. And they were just stood in like a line all the way down the platform. And we were like, what the fuck is going on? And next thing we know, a train pulls up and just like hundreds of these fans, like raving lunatics on the train all get off and start shouting abuse at us and shit and yeah. trying to get past the police. It's like, what the fuck is going on? It's a football match. And there's loads of... It's actually one of the things that I'd love to see, like a full detailed breakdown of it because there are reports internally from the police that, yeah, we have plans in place. Mm-hmm. Like one of the... We spend a not insignificant amount of police resources just figuring out how to keep football fans apart because they can't help. If we're not there, they will kick the shit out of each other and they will kill each other, literally, yep. in some cases. Mm-hmm. Like, so I said, people will throw bricks. Like there's a... They have to ban people taking newspapers into football grounds. You hear yep. about this? Uh, Americans think, why can't you take a newspaper into a football ground? It's because people figured out a way to fold a newspaper in such a way where it basically turns into a brick. Yeah. And if you fold it up and you fold it and you keep folding, you keep folding, you keep folding with a couple of newspapers, you make a paper brick, which is heavy enough to hit and knock people out. Uh, you're also largely told like you can't take coins and stuff in like that because people will throw pound coins with enough force onto the pitch to hit players and cause injury yeah uh, there's been a few cases where like footballers have been hit in the head and like caused minor bleeding because they've been hit by a coin people are throwing like pennies and pounds and stuff at their face it doesn't sound like a big deal but now imagine it's being thrown from 100 foot in the air by multiple people all, all screaming hatred at you. And it's, like, yeah, it's, it's crazy to think. And it's a football match. And yeah. it doesn't surprise me that the, um, there's been no football for like three months. So there will be a, a not insignificant amount of people that are probably there just for a fight. Mm-hmm. Because like that is their personality. Um, yep. it's, it's a, for Americans, it might sound really baffling. But no, it's, this is a serious problem we have to deal with. Where just where, before the, the dark times... In Sheffield, every time there was a derby, there would be no less than three, four hundred police officers in the city centre guiding and as people. Well, and um, you're advised not to go out. You're generally advised to just, if you don't need to go out, don't. Don't, no. Because it's not worth it. Also, as well, um, don't go out wearing a specific colour t shirt. Because if rival fans think you support the other team, they will beat you up. You will just get jumped by rival fans. And so this isn't like, where, this isn't um, exaggerated, this happens. This happens all the time, and it's just a fact of life in Britain that people just accept. That oh, if you're wearing like a blue shirt in London on the wrong day, someone might just kick the fucking shit out of you. If it happens to be a, a day when um, teams are playing, it does happen. And I um, obviously have like dyed hair for anyone that doesn't know what I look like. I often colour my hair very bright, different. I'm colours. guessing. I'm guessing you avoid red. Uh, no, I don't. Um, I don't at all. I, I do whatever the fuck I want for Liverpool. But even working like. On a weekend um, at Nando's, I'll get people, if I've got red or blue hair, making comments, going like, oh, so like, you're a Liverpool fan or you're an Everton fan then. And like, some people give me actual shit for having blue hair the day Liverpool are playing. Because they think, oh, you support the other teams. I don't care. It's like I'm a Liverpool fan and I've just got blue hair because I like having coloured hair. Leave me the fuck alone. (laughs) Well, this is the one, yeah. This is the level it can get to and... There are stories of people getting like the shit kicked out for wearing the wrong colour t-shirt. Yeah. 
Chris Wall fans, and like I said, the police have to deploy a massive amount of resources just to keep this stuff in check. And that is seen as just a part of British life and something we have to deal with. And I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I would assume that you have like an equivalent with a different sport in America, but I'm not quite sure. Probably, but I don't think it's... like You have tailgate parties and stuff like that where people like, will meet up in the parking lot and they have like parties... Yeah, and, and like barbecues probably is a and have a drink and stuff like yeah. that. There's probably some animosity between, like, especially diehard fans, but like, there's nothing compares to football rivalries in the UK and Europe. It is like, yeah, it's worldwide knowledge of how bad football fans can be. To the point where um, British football fans and British stag dudes as well, apparently abroad, have got a really bad reputation. Yep. When I was travelling through Europe, um, a lot of the hostels I stayed in just have a blanket ban. No football fans... No, no, no British football fans, no British stag dudes. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, football fans from other countries, fine. British ones, because we know. We mm. know if they get drunk, they'll come in drunk and they'll pick fights with people who are foreign, which is going to happen in a hostel in the middle of Europe. Yeah, and I can't remember the exact story, but I, I remember seeing in previous like, World Cups... They ban like, fans. Oh, England fans aren't allowed in certain areas. England fans like don't sell alcohol to them and stuff like this. Yeah, you get told that English fans can't be sold alcohol, but other yeah. fans can. And bars will just straight up refuse to serve the English. Yeah. Because it's not worth it, because if you get drunk, you'll start a fight. It's, it's like, it's no, he won't. And then the response to that is usually to start a fight with the person who refuses to sell. It's like, wait, a fucking book my stereotype. Yeah, oh, let's go and riot because they told us that we were violent. It's not for fuck's sake. It's like I said, it's one of those things I would love to see a breakdown of just like how the police do this because it must be a fascinating planning process. Yeah, it, it must be a ball ache. It's something the you, they've got to deal with over spend. football. And the worst part about it is it's obviously it comes out of government coffers and the football um, clubs, despite being worth billions, don't contribute anything. It's like entirely on the government to pay for this. It to is, pay yeah. police officers to stop your fans from killing each other. And it's just like, oh my god. And the the um, obvious things of like, uh, defund the police have been going around and you see how much money gets spent on the police compared to other services. It's like, maybe if people didn't cause fucking riots over a football game, shit like that would be a bit less necessary. And I don't think that it is necessary to clarify. Um, but yeah, when it's like, oh, we spend... Probably like millions or more every like. Yeah, I would love to see a breakdown of how much that costs. day on police just to stop hooligans for like attacking each other at football matches. I'd love to see a breakdown of that. Uh, yeah, how much that costs and how much the police have to spend on it. It's probably something they don't want to reveal. Probably not. And, but yeah, maybe if that... they revealed it, it might stop people dicking about so much. Well, the story that says that this is a Sheffield-based story, and there's a guy in Sheffield, I forget the dude's name, but Luke, you will no doubt have seen him, and he is the man who has a bright green wig, and he walks around with a, um, a trolley. Um, he wears a bright green fuzzy wig, and he pushes a trolley around Sheffield City Centre. Not off the top of my head. Okay, well, um, well in Sheffield, there is a man who has a bright green fuzzy wig and walks around pushing a trolley and he does it for Macmillan Cancer Support and I believe the story is that his wife passed away a few years ago Okay. and he endeavoured to raise money for them until he passed away to thank them and Macmillan Cancer Support there are green so he wears a Macmillan t-shirt bright green a bright green fuzzy wig mm-hmm. and he pushes around a trolley all day every day he's walked um, the equivalent like around the world already doing it and he has no plans to stop and he's oh, been wow. 
interviewed by um, as like, international press. Um, he got to carry the Olympic flame when it went through Sheffield when oh, Britain right, hosted okay. the Olympics. And he has a an Olympic torch that he carries around with him. Mm-hmm. And people can go up and pose the Olympic torch because he's got one. Yeah. And donate some money to this thing. And the story goes that he was walking around because he's wearing bright green. I don't know which football team has a bright green kit, but he got knocked down and harassed by rival football fans. Jesus Even though Christ. on all of his clothes it says Macmillan Cancer Support. Oh, because they yeah. saw him wearing green and fans of the club that um, the, those supporters um, were with ended up raising like 20 grand out of embarrassment for how he was treated. He's like, he's like mean, a local hero in Sheffield where he's, he's raised, I think, over a million pounds. Fair enough for people like feeling guilty that it happened, but what the fuck? And he's just a really adorable elderly man who walks around with a bright green fuzzy wig. He doesn't mean no harm to anybody. And raises money for charity. Over a million pounds worth. Oh, that, that's really fucking upsetting. Yeah, and that's a story that sticks with me of like how bad football hooliganism is going to be. It's on site. Yeah. Where like they, no one bothered to check. And they didn't see that he's not wearing... They didn't see that he's got Macmillan cancer support around his fucking t-shirt. Mm-hmm. He's a green t-shirt, so he must support the other team. Let's go push him over a game shit. Yeah, I think I've heard stories about... Um, I think there might have been one not too long ago, like relatively recent, mm-hmm. of like a guy in London got beat up because he was wearing a coloured t-shirt on the match time. day. Happens every single time. I'm going to double check what that guy's name is so people know. So Sheffield. So. Yeah, let, let him have some credit. Yeah, so I put in Sheffield Green Man. It's not come up and I'll put wig. There we go. Here we go. He's called the Pram Man. That's his name. Okay. So here we go. He's actually got a book based on him. Hmm. He's got what? Sorry. He's got a book. So so here we go. So uh, do you know what? Let's just read about this man. He's a fucking legend. So his name is John Burkhill. And he's got a British Empire medal. This is in 2013. And he's still doing it because I saw him as of like a few months ago. Um, um, Before we go on, what is a British Empire medal? We'll find out because this is a story about how he got awarded one. So a fundraiser dubbed the Madman with the Pram. I just know him as the Fuzzy Green Wig Man. (laughs) <laughs> um, he's been awarded a British Empire medal for raising more than £200,000 from Macmillan Cancer Support. This is in 2013, so he's like doubled that since then. So, he's, so it must be half a million that he raised, not a million. Oh, okay. So the story I saw that he's raised half, it, I saw the word million, so it must be he's doubled that in the time since. So he's 74, so he was 74 in 2013, so he's like nearly 80 now. Oh, he's, oh he's over 18, he's still yeah, he doing it. Uh, so here you go. He's dedicated himself to raising money for charity after losing his wife to cancer. He earned his nickname by pounding the streets over the last 20 years, wearing a green wig and pushing a pram. Oh my God. He has competed in 892 races and he's finished the London Marathon 19 times. Wow. Fair fucking play, man. Yeah. And he's just like this, he's a famous figure in Sheffield. So, oh, we've got a story here. His 80th birthday was in 2019. Mm-hmm. So let's see, this is um, a Sheffield City Council page about it. So let's find out some more information about him now. So this is more recent. So we have here, John, from Sheffield's most famous local heroes. So he's, um, so, um, and we have a quote here from Councillor Julie Dore. It's people like John who make our city so great. It's a true reflection of Sheffield's spirit that makes us all feel very proud. So for more than 30 years, um, he's raised money for Macmillan, taking part in a thousand organised races. Like, this guy's amazing. He's a fucking legend. And he's just one of those people like everyone knows him. I don't know how I've never noticed. He's around all the time. 
I don't know. Maybe it's just like, you know, oh, I see people in green and don't really notice it. Yeah, he's just, um, uh, he's a a Sheffield, like, just legend, as it were. He's even got a Twitter page. Yeah, I don't know. To clarify for anyone who doesn't know, like, I lived in Sheffield for a good few years. Uh, so he's on. I'm on his Twitter page right now, and he's still active by the sounds of it. And he has a tweet as of uh, the 29th of April. Um, John has a message for fans during the current lockdown period. All I want is everyone to be safe. To all the Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday supporters, I can't wait to bat with you all. Up the Blades, up the Owls. So he supports both teams. Yeah, he's just generally spreading positivity. Yeah, he's just a yeah. nice man. There's just pictures of him walking around, and it's all he does. All day, every day. What a nice guy. And then um, rival football supporters who thought he was supporting the team went up and gave him shit for it. Great. But it, like, he's one of those people who's like from Sheffield. And when I talk about him, I'm like, no, that's you're making that. There's never a guy with a fuzzy green wig who walks around all day with a pram. I don't know, he's been doing it for 30 fucking years. Oh, God. So, uh, do you remember our mayor? Do you remember our mayor? Is it Majik Majid? Uh, I'm not sure. Oh, you don't remember our mayor? Okay, well, there's another story for you. Like Sheffield, we had um, uh, our mayor a couple of years ago was a guy called, I'm double check there it was. I think it's Majid Majid. Uh, yeah, Majid Majid. Oh, it's, uh, sorry, Majid Majid. So, uh, did, uh, yeah, sorry, it's Majid Majid. I call him Magic Majid because that was um, his nickname in the press. Yeah. Uh, but um, So he's Majid Majid and um, he's a Somali British activist and politician and he applied to be the mayor I think as a joke or something like that in 2018 and oh, um, right. got the award because usually it's just like when you think of the mayor especially a British mayor you think it's like an old white dude yeah and they wear like their mayoral robes and like the um, what's it now the things they have around their neck mm-hmm. and he was like I think when he took office he was like in his 20s and the <laughs> reason that I want to mention this is I want to send you the his inauguration picture because okay. it's fuck, it's, it is the flyest most baller thing you have ever fucking seen. So I need, to, I need to find the full image. Yeah, yeah. You need to make sure, like, you send me the right one. Okay, so when he, like, got crowned, like, not crowned, but like, when he was awarded um, uh, Lord Mayor, mm-hmm. here we go. Uh, so, copy image, and I'm going to send it to you now. So, okay. uh, you get to take a picture uh, in the town hall uh, wearing uh, whatever the foot you want, but you've got to wear like, your mayoral chains. Yeah. So, Lucas, I'm going to send you the picture. This is what he posed doing. Oh my god, that's amazing. Just describe it, Lucas. Um, so he's wearing like, um, you know, what looks like black Doc Martens. Yeah, he's uh, like posing his fucking docks. Some rolled up black suit pants. And then he's got like a white shirt and bright white uh, blazer jacket on, like suit jacket. Yeah. And then the like brightest tie in the world just... Really super colourful tie. With his like solid gold fucking mayoral chains around his neck. And he's slav squatting in the city hall. He's literally posed like on top of one of the the pillars of the banister. And just like crouched on top of this like little banister. And he looks like a fucking Just posing like yeah. The thing is though Lucas that's not even the best photo that he took. Because he also took another one. Uh, this was his official photo on the Sheffield Council page. Oh my god! <laughs> and for this one, he's again he's wearing his Doc Martins, yeah. but he's wearing like all black with a really sick pair of bright red Doc Martins, sat on like this old-fashioned pimp throne with their mayoral chains around his neck and this giant uh, fucking like it looks like a Dark Souls weapon made of gold. It's like a giant 
golden cane with a crown on the top of it. Yeah, it looks like a mace. Yeah. It's like a giant golden mace, and it's something like it's um, a mayoral thing. That there's like uh, there's a lot of tradition around it, but he's just sat there and he looks like a fucking level boss yeah. from an indie game. And then there's another one, um, and this is what he did um, in response to because he was mayor when Donald Trump came to the UK. And oh, okay. the reason I love this guy is because um, in his official capacity as mayor, he barred Donald Trump from coming to Sheffield, <laughs> calling him and I quote a waste man. Oh, my God. And in solidarity with all the Mexican people, because it was during the time that um, Donald Trump was saying, oh, fuck Mexico, and putting up a wall, making them pay for it, he wore a giant sombrero. And again, like, he stood crouched on top of what looks like a stately table. Yeah. In the middle of the mayor's office. Wearing a sombrero. green docks on this time. With his mayoral chains, and he issued an official decree saying, Donald Trump's not allowed in Sheffield, fuck Donald Trump. He's just wearing a t-shirt that says, Donald Trump is a waste, man. Oh, so good. And the great thing, that he, like, because the mayor doesn't hold much power, it's mostly ceremonial. Yeah. But you can do a few cool things. And one of the awesome things he did is, um, during the World Cup, when mm-hmm. England made it further than we were supposed to, Yeah, yeah. Um, he used his mayoral powers to um, have... Um, Dev Green, which is a big park in Sheffield, um, yes. right, in the, right in the city centre. He uses mayoral powers to have a massive TV um, sent there, free of charge. <laughs> like he got a company to donate on those giant screens they have at concerts, yeah. so people could watch the World Cup. And he just tweeted out, um, "It's a lovely day, Britain's in. Uh, it's a lovely day, England's in the World Cup. Um, let's have a big party." And just got a load of companies <laughs> to donate, like free alcohol and food. And it's had a massive party. And it's like, yeah, let's go watch England. Everyone have a fun time. It's like, what a don. That is and just incredible. He's really good as well. Because do you remember that TV show? Uh, what was it now? Where you got hunted? I forget what the name of the TV show is. But yeah, he's, um, I called him Majid Majid because that's what um, he called himself. But his actual name is Majid Majid. <laughs> but I just love that thing though, like Magic Majid. He's so yeah. fucking cool. But um, oh, what is it now? I've not heard of this guy, but he sounds amazing. Yeah, he was a councillor and then he became a mayor. And he was on the, it's the show Hunted. I'm not familiar with the show, but... Uh, well, the show Hunted is basically what happens is, I think Adam from the channel, he's also, he's applied for it. And the show basically is, you apply, and then like 30 seconds, oh sorry, um, what they'll do is they'll give, sorry, let me just compose myself and let me, get me remember the <laughs> plot. Because Adam explained it to me, it's okay. So you apply, you give them a reason, you have a 30 second video where you tell them what you want, why you want to be on the show, yeah. And the plot is, um, they will come in at a random point in time and say, you've got five minutes, go. And after that five minutes, a team of professional hunters, so experts in tracking people down from the military mm-hmm. and um, the private sector, will try and track you down. And if you survive or hide for more than 30 days, you win like, I think 100, 200 grand, like, oh like some amount of money. And he was on that. He applied and got onto it and he escaped for 19 days and the reason that I think he's awesome is because he sent the people hunting him a letter calling them mugs <laughs> uh, which for Americans watching is just an insult it's like oh you idiot yeah. but the best bit is he sent it in Somali and they tried to translate it thinking oh he's taunting us we'll better figure out where he is and they translated it to cups of tea <laughs> and um, he later shit talked a TV show um, saying that the um, the producers are very manipulative and got him caught because they wanted to create good TV because he was oh, caught right. in the he was caught in the Peak District 
Which, if, again, yeah. Americans might know, it's like, um, yeah, if you're in the middle of the peaks, no one's fucking finding you. No. Like, it is just endless rolling grassland. And he was somehow caught. So, yeah, he wasn't very happy about it. But, um, yeah, Adam applied to be on that. And um, when the, one of the questions they actually answer is, so where would you hide if you were mm-hmm. on it? Uh, right. And he was okay. wondering, why the fuck would I tell you where I'm going to hide? And I told him, if they ever come up and approach you and say, okay, you, you're now being hunted, you run, come to my house. Yeah. Because I live in a building where you can't get in without a key fob. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure a random TV show, TV crew can't walk into my house. Mm-hmm. So just come to my house and just live in my house for a month and give me <laughs> 10 grand. And if they knock on my door, I'm like, well, who the fuck are you? You're not coming in. Yeah. And you can even like look out the window and point at them. They can't get in. They have no powers. It's not the police. No, exactly. They'd, even even if it was like, the police, they'd need a search warrant and shit. Yeah. And they can't do that. But I thought it'd be really great. It's just like, oh, come to my house and just live in my house. <laughs> and just never leave. Because as long as you don't leave and they, you don't go out the front door, yeah. you can't break in. They can only get you if you go outside. If I go outside for you yeah. and buy all your shopping and stuff like that, they can't do out. Nope. Oh, oh, man. I love that one though. He sent them a taunting letter to say, go fuck yourself. <laughs> so fucking funny. I'd love though if like um, Adam got onto the show and it's just like, During oh, yes, we found his location because we listened to a podcast that Carl <laughs> He's in the house of friend Carl Smallwood. <laughs> Unfortunately, our expert hunters can't get in because Carl told them to fuck off. <laughs> Carl refused to answer the door and appears to be surviving via the means of Just Eat and Deliveroo, <laughs> who continually are delivering Nando's to his house, provided at a discount from his friend Lucas. <laughs> oh, man. The, but, uh, that show is such a good idea, though. Was, uh, my sister's dad, because he was in the army for a bit, mm. and he's like really into survivalism and all that stuff, and he just said he'd fuck off into woods. <laughs> and he, like, he, again he applied because he wanted to go on because he, he thought if anyone tries to catch him he'll just run off into woods yeah. who the fuck's going to find you in the woods be very difficult oh, just, I just love that <laughs> you're a bunch of mugs well he's asking for a cup of tea he's weakening lads <laughs> we've got him he's, he misses British tea it's like no he's, he's calling you idiots yeah I, I kind of hope though that it came with a photo of him just posed like in his sombrero <laughs> so how are you not going to find me when he, just, he just like has his phone on and keeps sending them messages of like here's a picture of me my sombrero in the woods it's like, well, that's, an in, that's an interesting one though what would you do Cause if you ever think about it my plan when I discussed it with Adam was um, I would grow my hair out and mm. stuff if I knew I was applying for the show and it was like, there's a three month period when they might be looking for you yeah, um, sure. I'd grow my hair out during that time and then the moment I know they're looking for me um, shave my head mm-hmm uh, shave my head, um, shave like whatever mani- beard I managed to grab, um, put on really loose baggy clothing. Yeah. And then just go to the, live on the street. Yeah, I don't know what I'd do. Like, just go to, a is, dos, go to a DOS house for 20 days. It's uh, very easy for people to notice me because of my hair. Exactly, but I, I, my plan was just go live on the street. Yeah. Like, all you need to do is you go and you withdraw like 500 quid from a cash point and mm-hmm. um, put it in your sock or something like that because I think they can track like you've got to give them access to your bank records and stuff like that. So you go withdraw like 500 quid and it's every day go McDonald's, go Greg's, £2, £3 for a meal. Uh, yeah, maybe. You, you, well, live, you, live off, you can live off a couple of quid a day and just pretend that you're homeless. 
I would literally like probably have to, like yeah, cut my hair, shave my beard, uh, maybe even stop wearing my glasses because like big yeah. obvious glasses. But the really funny thing is that like that show, people are such fucking idiots on it. Like they'll go home. <laughs> Although, like, one guy, he was great, he lived in his shed, and he lasted for, like, three weeks. Because they checked yeah. his house, and they went to his shed, and this, his shed was so small, that they didn't think anyone could live in it. So they watched <laughs> his shed for, like, four days, and went, well, there's clearly no one in his shed, because he would have to come out by now, like, to use the toilet or get food. And it turns yeah. out he just shit in a bucket for, like, four days. Oh, man. And just refused to leave, and just buried it all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like, oh, what a war hero. He managed to make it, he did it, he did his best. Yeah, like, that's the thing is, doing something obvious is sometimes the best kind of trick to Because, hide. yeah, it, doing something so stupid that people wouldn't even think it's an option, like, go home. Yeah, yeah. That's, like, literally just hide under your bed. <laughs> like, would people be out, like, would they, like, the thing, well, he's clearly not going to go home. Yeah, like, yeah. Why would he go to his house? It's like, so, we've told him to hide, why would he go where he lives? Exactly, and then the, sometimes that's the smartest thing to do. Which is mm-hmm. why I said to Adam, like, if you ever, if you ever end up doing it, like after lockdown, they just come up to you when you're at work, come to my house, leave your phone with your girlfriend, leave everything, come to my house, just promise me that when we're done, you'll give me a selection of the winnings and just don't leave. Yeah. Like, I think lockdown's proven I can stay in my house for 30 days without going out. <laughs> so it's not like it's going to be that much different. You've been prepping for it all this time. God, yeah. Like, I think the best thing to do would be, if you can, without getting tracked, get to, yeah, like, somewhere just, like, a massive forest or something. Just no, just go to someone's house. Because I said, you're in a city, it's a key it's key card entry to my building, no one can get in unless they live here. And then once they've got in, they can't, they certainly can't get into my house. Because the way a lot of people like, get I'm caught. I'm not sure whether they would um, admit it or not, without, like, you know... Ruining the show. Ruining the show, but I wonder if it is, like, you can't go to X, Y, and Z. There probably is rules, like, you can't go hide somewhere where we can't get you. But at the same yeah. time, that's the point of the show. Yeah, like, but that's the thing is, again, you could just say, well, come to my locked building where they don't have access. And it's like, is that against, like, the rules or the spirit of the show? Yeah, but it's then, according to... Like, you know, the the mayor of Sheffield for 2018-2019, well, I'm going to trust the word of, the mayor's a pretty trustworthy dude. Yeah. He said that the show cheats, so fuck it. Yeah, him. exactly. If they're not going to make it fair for me, I'm not going to make it fair for them. Yeah. And I would just love, like, because they try and get into my house. Like, I don't. No one comes in my house anyway. The <laughs> fuck are you going to get in? Yeah. I still, uh, that, that oddly reminds me of, like, one time when I was on a night out. Okay, I thought you could say that one time I've been hunted by the police. That, that one time, yeah. Uh, I have actually, a little bit. Uh, I'll go into that in a second. Oh, but, is that? Okay. Um, so one time, my mate was just like, yeah, we lost you on a night out and you were staying at mine. We had like <laughs> 15 missed calls from you and then your phone just like stopped ringing us. We couldn't call you back. Like your battery must have ran out. And then we just found you lying in front of my door that was behind, like, three security doors. <laughs> and I, you I no don't idea know how I got, got there. They don't know how I managed to get in. I was just there. Oh, man. Well, um, I'm looking forward to the next one, but I'm just going to go for a quick bathroom break, if that's okay. Yeah, of course it is, yeah. Okay, so on Bat Lucas, what is this other story about you being hunted by the Popo, the 5-0, <laughs> the Fuzz? When did this happen? Like, hunted is 
maybe not the right word, but like Trust police them. were looking for us. Okay. Um. So, I, like, I don't know where to start with this story, but I guess uh, the beginning, I'll explain a little bit of backstory yeah. of um, when I was a teenager in high school. Okay. Um, me and a close friend were making like amateur films. Um, and okay, what kind of amateur films? Because that's like very vague. Uh, it could be interpreted so, in a very weird way. Um, it started out as we made like a couple of sketch shows. Ah, um, okay. And then progressed into um, my friend writing like full movie scripts and us trying to make like full, um, you know, I guess like feature length films. Like, mm-hmm. on a budget with just, like, a couple of props and a bit of, like, fake blood and stuff like that. All right. Um, and a lot of the stories that he wrote were, um, a lot of the time, because, you know, budget restrictions and stuff, it was a lot about, um, like, post-apocalyptic kind of settings of, we were in the woods a lot. Oh, uh, so I was going to say, post-apocalyptic, make use of the, 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 the thriving metropolis that is Liverpool. <laughs> Uh, well, it's just like outside of Liverpool, so a lot. Oh, more, you, like, yeah, you lived um, outside it, so I guess you would have access to the woods. Yeah, it's not like you lived and, in Scunthorpe, um, where I lived, where you could, if you wanted to, probably get that to look like it's post-apocalyptic. You just need to walk down the street, <laughs> just walk down the yeah. street at five o'clock in the morning after a Saturday. So it's just full of like empty kebabs and bins have been knocked over. Yeah, and um, the thing is, this was like maybe. I want to say about like 10 to 14 years ago now. Okay. So rules were a bit um, laxer on walking around with fake guns. Um, I don't think those rules have ever been relaxed. No, not relaxed. Just it's, um, it was around the time where they started introducing things of if you have a fake gun, it has to be, like toy guns have to bright be orange. like bright orange and blue. Yeah, to be fair, when I was a bit younger, I do remember I had a BB gun. That was, it looked exactly like a Desert Eagle and was yep. even made of metal. Yep. And these were the guns that we were using, like the prop guns that we were using. Yeah, were. Now you mentioned that, yeah, I, as a kid, I remember having some BB guns that looked pretty fucking realistic, I'll be yeah, honest. Exactly, exactly. Especially the one that was where, made of metal. That's where it's going, is like we were walking around the woods and. These were, like, some of the guns we were using were, like, rifle-sized. So they couldn't be, like, hidden away in a bag very easily. Mm -hmm. And essentially what happened was we were walking through the woods with these, like, fake rifles strapped to our back um, and with, like, a camera in our hands filming and stuff like this. And every now and then we'd have to stop because uh, a dog walker would come past and, like, you know, obviously it would spoil the shot if they were in there. Yeah. And then, about an hour or two later, one day we were filming, um, police helicopters started circling where we were. Because they did reports that there was someone in the woods with a gun. Yeah, and we had a cop off duty walking the dog walk up to us and be like, I've literally been getting messages saying there's people in this forest with guns. Like, they are looking for you thinking you're walking around with weapons. I was like, oh my god. And there's oh, a shit. like, literally, hide those guns, get away now. Like, th- there's literally helicopters that are properly fucking looking for you. Yeah, and 
it's not a crime to have a fake gun, but the police will be pretty pissed off at the waste of the time doing this. So you will, at the very least, get sent home by the police. Yeah, you yeah. You get a very stern talking to, which you don't want. What a bro that cop was. Yeah, it was. I absolute bro. He clearly saw us filming and walked up and was like, I know you're filming, I know these are prop guns, but like fucking run away. Yeah, now, now imagine if you're black and you're in America, Lucas. Exactly. I might exactly. not imagine this fucking conversation right now. Yeah. But if, yeah, that's the thing in the UK where like, they have fake guns, they look really realistic, so now they have to be bright orange. Yes. Like, they, like, they have to be so obviously not a real gun. Mm-hmm. And same thing with like starters pistols and things like that, um, which fire blanks. They have to have like bright orange tips on them. Yeah. To be like that. And that's one of the reasons like Nerf guns look so fake. It's because you just don't want the hassle. And um, it's that like, great scene that, and people have used fake guns to rob banks and shops and do post oh, office yeah, raids. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons they introduced that law because the police don't know. And obviously people behind the counters don't know. Yeah. And it was do you want lampooned. to take that risk? Yeah, it was lampooned in the film. I think it's Lock, Stock, Two Smoking Barrels. Or maybe oh, it's right, Snatch. Yeah. I forget which one it is, but it's the one where um, Vinnie Jones is in it. But I think he's in them both. Uh, probably known Vinnie Jones. But there's a bit in it where two guys stick him up with fake guns and they talk about the two guys, they rob a shot with those early in the film. Mm-hmm. And they talk about the fact like, oh, these are starting pistols. And he goes, you can't hold up a bank with a starting pistol. No one's going to fucking know. Also, they fire blanks. And if you fire it into the air... Like, no one's going to say it's fake when they hear it. It's blank, makes the exact same as, as a real bullet. And yeah, when like, there's a panic... Obviously, you... there's differences in, like, muzzle flash and stuff, but not something that a regular person would know or no. notice in the panic of someone shooting a fucking gun. Yeah, and the, his argument is if two guys come in with balaclavas on, start waving around these things and fire a couple of shots into the air, no one's going to notice that they're not real. Yeah. And there's even like, a great joke in it when he goes... Do they even make a loud bang at which he shoots the gun in the car and like all the windows shatter? And it's a great moment. But later in the film, they meet um, Vinnie Jones. Hard man Vinnie Jones, who plays the character Bullet Tooth Tony. Okay. Who is a guy who's famous in the um, London underworld for being shot six times. Oh, and wow. taking the bullets and killing the guy who killed him. Yeah. Or shot him and then having the bullets melt down into fake teeth. <laughs> oh, which is an amazing backstory for a criminal. Yeah. But it's really cool. And um, they hold him up to ask, like, oh, um, tell us what you know. I think it's like they're after a diamond or something. They hold him up. Mm-hmm. And what he does is, like, they've got a gun in his face. And they go, Are you not bothered here, mate? Are you, like, we've got a gun in your face. Are you really going to try to be a hero right now? And Vinnie Jones goes, Well, not really, because I've noticed that down the side of your guns, it says replica. Uh, and it gives you like this Guy Ritchie-esque shot of it like zooming down the side of the gun showing replica whereas my gun says Desert Eagle 0.50 and just puts a Desert Eagle on the table <laughs> and he goes so I'm not really bothered by your guns mate to be honest and they just fucking like it it's like oh see uh, that is one misconception though is blanks are still deadly oh yeah that's how Brandon Lee died yeah like Bruce Lee's son if people don't know the reason he died is they put it was a blank firing gun but a blank um, it's still there's still a lot of shit that comes out the end of the gun, like the bits of the bullet. So blank is essentially just an empty bullet. Um, is it not made? Uh, like I may be completely wrong here, but I was led to believe, is the word I'll use, is like that they were made of wood, and basically the wood turns to shrapnel and almost immediately disperses. Yes, uh, but they're still lethal at point blank range. Yeah. And there's a lot of, even if they're, um, I think even more modern ones where they don't 
have as much shrapnel come out of them. Because like, it's just basically it's just an empty bullet where the, the fragments of the bullet explode but get dissipated almost immediately. And yeah. there's still a lot of gas that has to be expended from the gun, which, mm-hmm. again, at point-blank range, say against someone's temple, can blow yeah. your head off. And there are multiple Darwin Award stories of people um, putting blanks to their head and pulling the trigger, and then the gases that are expelled just blow a hole through their skull. And it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, you still need, like, force and a propellant to get the effect of a blank. Yeah, and think of it like the same way as, like, a party popper or something like that, but times, like, 1,000. <laughs> yeah. And, well, um, if you shoot confetti at someone hard enough, it might pierce the skin. It might do. But it's that, it's that thing of, yeah, maybe don't do this. And um, it's a, probably a, a problem of Hollywood where they've told me that blanks are safe and they're not. Yeah. They're super dangerous. And the way Brandon Lee died is that they shot a blank and yeah, some of the shit that's in that bullet came out and expended by the force of the gas and hit him with enough force to fucking kill him. Mm. Right, and if they can kill Bruce Lee's son, they can kill anybody. Yeah. Totally. So that's one unlucky family line. That is like Bruce Lee dies, he took like an aspirin tablet or something like that, I think it is. Oh, right. right so Bruce Lee died from a headache tablet and his son died from a bullet that didn't work. Yeah. Not a great time for anybody, but yeah, the blanks are super, super dangerous. And it's just like, yeah, okay, they're not uh, like 54, but when, as you say, Hollywood kind of teaches the convention that, oh, blanks are completely it just makes a loud bang. safe. It's like, oh, it's just an empty gun. Like, no, the one not. that's really scary is grenades. Because video games will teach you that a grenade has like, what, a three, four foot radius where it'll kill people? Yeah. And then nothing beyond that. Actual grenades in real life. People maybe don't know a grenade is just a um, explosion that takes place inside of a solid steel or metal shell. Mm-hmm. And it's not the explosion that kills you. Because in actual fact, like grenades don't make that big a boom. Yeah. Um, it's the shrapnel the grenade launches out at basically every conceivable angle mm-hmm. at several hundred feet per second. Yeah. And grenades have an effective lethal range of like 200 foot. Yeah, and like I that shrapnel like can kill you from like two hundred foot away, and you wouldn't think that looking at films and video games and stuff like that. It's like, no, that's why when people throw grenades, they hide behind a solid concrete wall. Yep, yeah. Because yeah. the shrapnel can kill you from like a quarter of a mile away. So um, I think that I I remember watching like a MythBusters episode on hand grenades. I think the myth was, oh, like if you jump down to the ground next to the hand grenade, oh, because like, it comes out in a. Um, What's the word now? Like a funnel shape? Yeah, so it'll come out... Like, the theory is it'll come out in a cone upwards. No, so it goes diving out. diving yeah, down it, will... Lying next to the grenade is safe. But, obviously, that's not really true. And they had, like, mannequins laid out in, um, you know, like, kind of, like, some um, padding around the grenade to see what hits it. And then also um, markers of, like, 10, 20 feet away. And the ones, like, 20 feet away were still getting huge chunks of shrapnel all over them. Yeah, it's crazy. So like, those things are super, super dangerous. Yeah. Like, but as don't... you say, like, in a video game, if you're three foot away from one, it'll, like, slightly hurt you. And not kill you. No, it'll be launching a, um, a slug of shrapnel uh, the size of a 10 pence piece um, at half the speed of sound through your skull. Yeah. Um, which reminds me of probably one of my favourite bits of video game lore which I'm so pissed off that they took out, and it is um, how the guns work in Mass Effect. If you remember. Uh, I'm not sure about the lore of it, so go ahead, explain. Okay, so in Mass Effect, the very first game at least, um, guns yeah. never need reloading, ever. No, it just overheat. 
uh, guns only overheat. They never need reloading. They have no ammo. And the in-universe explanation for that is probably one of the coolest fucking explanations of how a gun works ever. And it is that um, every single gun in that game has a block of metal inside of it. Mm. And when you pull the trigger, it doesn't fire a bullet. Uh, it doesn't like uh, like uh, empty a shell like a shotgun. And what it does is a microscopic piece of that metal is shaved off. And via the same medium that you travel at almost light speed in that universe, the Mass Effect relays, Yes. Um, a micro version of that will propel that small piece of metal up to like 45 times the speed of sound in an instant. Oh, and it's like even though it's an insignificant amount of metal... Because it's travelling so fast and force equals mass times acceleration, the sheer amount of acceleration being... Um, like put in, put onto that small piece of metal, makes it hit with the force of a real bullet, even though it might be like the size of a speck of dust. Yeah. And obviously, and if you have, say, I don't know, a battery-sized piece of metal, and you're taking off like a fleck the size of like a skin cell. Yeah. Off yeah. it, you'll never need to reload ever. And the oh. way they explain it is, it's the same way that um, in space, um, a tiny pebble can down a ship. Because oh, a pe- why would a pebble down a ship? But if a pebble is travelling at half the speed of sa- like half the speed of light, <laughs> it'll hit. With, it'll hit with the force of like an anti-material round shot from a fifty cal. Yeah, and it's the same way that um, oh, a small pebble. If I threw a small pebble at someone's windscreen, it's probably not going to do much damage to it. But if you're travelling at eighty miles an hour down the motorway, and a small pebble flies into your windscreen, travelling at around sixty miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Because it's been dropped from the back of a car or something like that. That's now hitting your windscreen at hundred and that's now hitting over hundred miles an hour. It's gonna fucking just go through and kill you. Yeah. And the, I love that explanation for that. Of like, oh, that's why guns never need reloading. And then in the second game, you reload guns. I like yeah. I love that explanation in the first game. I never realised that was what was happening. And Joe, what pisses me off about it because when you go to the second game. They tell you that, oh, um, in the few years that um, you've been away, um, we've changed the way that guns work, and they now work on thermal clips. Yeah, stop, it's like to universal stop thermal clips that are attached to any weapon. So that means that all guns now reload like normal guns, because they were trying to make it to more a shooter. And they say that, oh yeah, um, the old guns were completely obsolete, so we got rid of them. And you basically think, <laughs> surely though, if you're like a bandit, on like a random fucking planet in the middle of nowhere, you'd keep one as a backup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because if you run out of thermal clips, you can no longer fire that gun. If you have one of the old guns from a few years ago, it never runs out of ammo ever. Yeah, so if you're like Commander Shepard and you've got an arsenal on your ship, like surely you just fine. have one as a backup. But like Commander Shepard's so well funded that yeah, I I can see. Commander Shepard never needing to go back to a gun that doesn't reload. But when, yeah, you're just a guy with one gun, it's like, maybe just get the one that you never need to buy thermal clips for. But it's also the thing as well, it's, it's a gameplay thing. of like, oh, we want to introduce reloading into this game. Yeah. We want to make it more like Call of Duty, which is obviously yeah. a great thing for every game. Uh, but, like, law-wise, it seems so backwards because the guns that are supposedly obsolete work better. Uh, in the description, they even say, yeah, every... Because, like... Guns will run out, but they'll probably like the gun itself will probably just wear out before you run out of ammo. Like, and they will work for like they've got like, the equivalent of ten thousand rounds in them. 
by which point um, you've probably it's going to degrade to the point you've probably bought a new one anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and that thing talk- is like, I just don't really get how they try to explain that away because you know my guns in the first game killed things fine, and they never ran out. And the yeah. explanation for how they work is so interesting and cool. And the only time, ta- and the reason I like it is because uh, you talk to Garrus, mm-hmm. and he talks about being in a firefight, and he says, "Oh yeah." Uh, my gun ran out of ammo during a firefight. I've never seen that happen. I was so shocked. <laughs> because the firefight went on that long, I actually ran out of bullets. Oh, man. And I didn't think that was a thing that could happen because obviously every single gun comes with the equivalent of thousands of rounds of ammunition. Yeah. But like, um, you know... And then they just explain it. It's like, oh, God, like, why would you not have that? That's so good. Those guns are so awesome. So I think the gun I had, the, the pistol that I had by the end of Mass Effect 1, that I'd fully upgraded... And it shot like acid rounds that did like 400% extra headshot damage. Yeah. It just ended everything instantly. Yeah, I just, every Mass Effect playthrough, I end up using shotguns because the range on the shotguns in that game is insanely good. If And they fire like the equivalent of six pellets, which all do a set amount of damage. So if you get them ranked up enough, so the, is it the aiming reticle it goes really small. Yeah. You can hit them with every single bit from like across the map. It's, like, it's fucking incredible. It's like you get sniper shotguns that fire fucking like yeah acid or incendiary rounds that just wipe people out in one shot. And yeah, and they like, overheat in one shot. Upgrade. They overheat in one shot, but does it matter if it kills them in one shot? <laughs> and I fucking love it. Like, Boom! But that explanation of how they work, I always found so interesting. That is amazing, yeah. yeah. It's a tiny Mass Effect relay. And the way they explain it is... Um, Oh, um, even a, an atom propelled to the speed of light will hit with the force of a nuclear bomb. Yeah. By scaling down this concept um, is how these guns work. Where it is a mm-hmm. so like a fle- I think they describe it as like a fleck of paint. Oh, like right. A fleck okay, of paint yeah. off the wall, but propelled to the speeds at which the gun can propel it using the Mass Effect relay inside of it, and mm-hmm. it hits with the force of a conventional firearm. And that's why sniper rifles hit harder. Because they have a longer barrel to propel the thing to a higher speed so they hit with more force. Right. Yeah. And it makes so much sense. And then they went, no, nah, man, but make it like Call of Duty. <laughs> it's like, God damn it. I had so much fun customising my guns in that game and making, like you said, the sniper shotguns. Yeah. Or the pistols that you could like, get the reticle to be so small you could hit from across the map with it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I will admit that the worst thing about Mass Effect 1 going back is the combat. But it's like, all they needed to do was make it work better, not put reloading into it. Yeah, reloading's not why that game was bad. No. I mean, like, if anything, it made it super fun that you could just, like, you could just fire like mad, because that feels like you're in the future. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the reasons like, I like um, Halo. Reloading uh, does feel like a thing of the past. It does, and that's why I always like picking up Covenant weaponry, because, the again, the descriptions for how some of those guns work are really interesting. Mm-hmm. Like they talk about the needler, where the needler fires needles of crystal... And they don't know where they come from. <laughs> and humanity doesn't understand what these crystals are or how they work. They just know that for some reason, the crystal seems, when it's shot from a gun, to home in on organic flesh, embed itself in it, and then detonate for some reason. I love that. And they say it's fucking terrifying. Because <laughs> we don't know how this gun works, and human scientists can't figure out what it does or where it comes from. Oh, man. And they talk about it with like the plasma pistol and the plasma rifles. Mm. But they talk about, oh, the Covenant seemingly know how to reload these guns because they have a finite battery charge in them. We can't figure out where the battery goes. So when they're used on the field, you have to throw them away. 
Oh, and the Covenant right, come yeah. around after the fact and pick them all up and recharge them. But yeah. humans don't know how they do that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, That's amazing. Humans will pick up these alien weapons. We've figured out how they work. We just don't know how to reload them because we like, don't yeah, know what our ammo is. We've figured out how to shoot it, but nothing else. So, yeah, and I always found that really interesting, like the explanation for it. Yeah. That's really cool. But just that thing of, yeah, no one knows how it works. Like, we know that you can, if you pull the trigger, it'll work like a conventional firearm, but we don't know how to reload it because it's a fucking alien gun. <laughs> and it and makes no really sense. The really thing is, like, games like that where, I guess, you know, we could we could talk about Bungie not putting lore inside the games quite a lot with me being a Destiny fan. Yeah. But <laughs> Go check out the Grimoire like, cards. Oh, man. Okay, so Halo never explained that to me, and that's really cool. Mass Effect never pointed out, apart from, I guess, in the codex, mm-hmm. how the guns work. And it's like, there's so much cool stuff in video games like that, where it's either hidden behind a bunch of walls of text, or not even in the game, and you have to explore, like, through books or websites and things like that. It's like, god damn, yes. just, like, throw a few lines in there to make it obvious. It's the Halo novels that I got about Halo from, but the codex is where you learn about the guns in Mass Effect. Yeah. And it's like um, Doom. The original, like the 2016 one. Um, yes. They've got Kodak in the Doom Eternal, but it's not as good. Because the one in Doom Eternal is written from the perspective... It's written as if it's talking to you, the player. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's fine, but the one in Doom 2016 is written as if it were, uh, all the um, law things are written from the perspective of researchers working for the company or working for the, the base that's currently being invaded by demons. Ah, right. So they okay. talk about it in a really clinical, um, scientific sense, which makes it really interesting. Like, um, the one that sticks out is, like, the Berserk power-up. Yes. Which, in-game, powers Doom Guy up enough where he can rip demons apart with bare hands. And well, he can do it anyway, but he doesn't need to damage them beforehand. And they talk about that, and you think, oh, it's just a dumb power-up. And they talk about, no, it's concentrated hell energy. And they talk about the effect it has on a regular human. Mm. And they say, oh, when a regular human imbibes it their brain is flooded with so much adrenaline um, that their own muscles rip off their bones and snap all their bones at once. Oh. Because it empowers them so much with just this surge of demonically infused adrenaline that causes their muscles. And they talk about the fact, yeah, the human muscles are strong enough to break the bones of your body, but they don't because they're limited by your brain. This takes yeah. that limiter off. And a similar vein um, in Halo, again, um, the Master Chief armor that he wears, the Mjolnir armor. Mm-hmm. In one of the novels, they talk about um, when they tried to make a guy who wasn't a super soldier wear it. Yeah. Because Master Chief and all the other Spartans, they're basically genetically engineered to be perfect and they have like their bones reinforced and they have um, bulletproof materials grafted to their bones and yeah. their skin stronger and all that stuff. And the Mjolnir armor is directly connected to your brain. Mm-hmm. And the way it works is when you think about moving something, when you think about moving, it moves. Yeah. And they talk, yeah. And they talk about how human reactions, as fast as they are, aren't fast enough on the modern battlefield. Because when you think about, when you have to like physically move, that's not quick enough when you're fighting aliens. Ah, uh, right, okay. And then they talk about, oh, synapses in your brain. Like, and there's a clear, there's a like 0.1 second, like a millisecond of time. Mm-hmm. Um, while your synapses have to uh, translate the electrical impulse to your muscles before you actually move. Yeah. And we can reduce that time to make movement almost instantaneous. So you move at the speed of thought. <laughs> the problem is that when you move that fast, it doesn't. the body doesn't like it. 
and they talk about the first guy they put in a suit. He didn't. He wasn't a super soldier. And they asked him to think about saluting. And he thinks about it. And his arm snaps up to salute so fast it breaks every bone in his arm. Oh, no. But then what happens is he's in pain. So what does his body, what does he think? Oh, I want to like um, curl into a ball to protect myself. So all of the armor immediately folds in on itself in, a, in less time than he can even comprehend <laughs> and snaps every bone in his body at once. Oh, dear God. Because, because he's, the armor is forcing him to move so much faster than his body will allow. Yeah. And they said only a, a Spartan, only a, a super soldier could even move around in this thing without killing themselves, let alone like fighting it. And they say the first time that Master Chief's in it, um, he salutes on, on instinct because he thinks about saluting a soldier, his commanding officer, when they walk in. Mm-hmm. And before he realises what he's doing, the armour salutes and karate chops himself in the head and nearly kills him. <laughs> so Master Chief was nearly killed by his own like sense of duty. Oh, he sees a commanding officer walk in and instinct thinks, I should salute. And before yeah. he knows what's happening, his own arm snaps to his forehead and karate chops him. Oh, no. It's just, it's so interesting a concept that I love seeing it explored in that book. Yeah. um, And I love that they put that amount of thought into it. Because if you play the games, you don't need to think about that. But I love the idea, oh yeah, it it takes the impulses from your brain and translates them directly into movement, allowing you to move instantaneously, making you into basically a perfect soldier who fights on instinct. But when we put a regular guy in, it always bones snap. Oh God, that's so brutal. And it it explains why... Everyone isn't in Mjolnir armor as well. Because no one can wear it except Spartans, and only and the Spartan program was abandoned because it was too fucking dangerous because they all died. Yeah. Which is something else you find out in the books where almost every Spartan soldier just fucking died. And again, another really neat piece of lore about the Halo universe is is to stop morale from getting like demolished. If I because Spartans in that universe, that they're unstoppable. They're, mm-hmm. they're legendary on the battlefield. Yeah. Imagine how demoralising it would be to tell a regular foot soldier the f- the enemy that we're going to fight beat a Spartan. <laughs> so officially Spartans are never declared KIA. They're only declared missing. So technically no Spartans ever died. Because if they say that they've died, it's demoralising as fuck. It's so like, how would you beat an enemy that killed bastards? in after the people that can't die got killed. Yeah, like that guy you saw flip a tank with his bare hands got killed by this enemy. So they only ever declare Spartans missing in action. Oh, that's so cool. And again, it's a neat little bit of lore you never find out playing the games that they talk about in the books. And those books are really well researched. Right, not researched, but they're really well written in regards to the lore and the background. And they it's build a very a really... well thought out universe, yeah. It is, and then compared to something like Star Wars, which is made up as people go along. And, it, and it's weird to when think you like... compare it to the likes of Mass Effect, that is very evident. It's weird to like Mass Effect has more effort put into its lore than Star Wars does. Yeah, and you can tell that from the get-go of even like going through Mass Effect 1. It explains it, yeah. I haven't thought about 2 or 3 yet. But they still explain how little things like that gun thing I talked about earlier, that's explained in the codec for that game. So they thought about it. They never tell you about it, like you've got to seek it out, but they thought about that more than all. Do you know how the guns in Star Wars work? Uh, they go pew-pew. Yeah, exactly. Do you know how the lightsaber works? No, it's a crystal. It's magic. Yeah. Don't think about it. How's the force work? Well, depending on what film you watch, it's different explanations. Yeah. And the one that always gets me is that um, Gears of War. You think, like, you play the games, oh, it's just big meat, it's like, it's oorah, it's giant fridge-shaped men chainsawing things. Yeah. The books in the Gears of War universe are as deeply, like, um, like law-filled 
There's the Halo and the Mass Effect ones, and there's so much <laughs> interesting stuff in there, and every piece of technology is explained. Yeah. In great detail, and they go into a massive amount of effort, and they even explain why the chainsaw works. Because you think, that's, well, they did because it was cool. Mm. Nope. In one book, they explain, yeah, the chainsaw exists because um, it used to be attached to um, guns. They used to have a bayonet on them, and the bayonet couldn't pierce the hide of enemies. And then one day, um, a guy picked up a power saw and killed a locust with it in unarmed combat. Um, he just used it like just randomly. He picked it up and just uh, in this final melee for his life, realised it cut through the locust. So what they did is they um, the researchers attached it to a gun. But um, how does that explain in Gears of War 3 that you have the retro lancer then? Um, because they're still... Um, the, you retrofit them. They're old ones that you find on the floor. Oh, no, more just, I mean, like, how does it explain that you kill, like, loads of locusts with that? And you oh, can no. pierce the skin with it? Well, the explanation for that is you have to run. It only kills if you roadie run with it. If you remember, you have to um, sprint towards the enemy and catch them after you've got to full speed. I mean, yeah, but then the execution with it is it just chops the head off. Yeah, well, that's like for gameplay. From standstill. But they talk about the bayonet where it did work, but only when it was applied with great force by someone who's very strong, like someone like Marcus Phoenix or Ty Kelso. Yeah. Which doesn't really help people like Carmine or any of the, the women who fight in the war. Mm-hmm. Or when you run at full speed, which isn't really advisable on a battlefield. And that thing is like, that's a really cool explanation, but it does make me go, however, I have seen like, yeah, um, Anna, for example, who's like, you know, a, th- a lot eight, smaller a, than Marcus Phoenix. A 120 like, pound white woman. Yeah, I've fully seen lift up. standing still and cut off like a locust head with the bayonet. Or, or do the thing where you charge them and lift them clean above her head and throw them over her shoulder. Yeah. And yeah, that's for gameplay reasons. But the one that I really like is the Hammer of Dawn. Oh, God, yeah. Like, the explanation for that, so Lucas, describe to people the Hammer of Dawn. Uh, so the Hammer of Dawn is... Which, again, well, first things first, the fucking name's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> fucking all Hammer of Dawn. Awesome, um, awesome. What does it do and what is it? So, I mean, I guess it's a weapon, but, like, the weapon isn't what you wield. So no. you wield, um, essentially, like, what would we call it? Like a location spotter, a laser pointer, a laser pointer. Yeah, there's an equivalent um, in modern. Like, and in modern all that happens is that you point this laser where you want the hammer of dawn to fire, mm-hmm. and after a couple of seconds of locking on to the location, a satellite, the closest satellite available, will just drop a laser from out of space onto the enemy, completely obliterating it in a quarter of a second. Yeah. And it's like one of the most powerful weapons humanity has in that universe. And a lot of fans were like, why don't they use this all the time? It's so good. And it is. It's, it's a game-breaking weapon because it's instant kill on everything. It's like, how did you lose if you had this? Mm-hmm. And the explanation is, well, when the Locust attacked, they destroyed half the satellites. Oh, no, sorry. When the Locust attacked, they destroyed all the command centers where we control the satellites. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them either fell to Earth or crashed into each other, because no one was controlling them anymore. Right, yeah. So the only ones that are in space are the only ones that are left, and we can't control them. We can only fight, We can only tell where they are. So we can only fire them if we know that one of the few remaining satellites in orbit is overhead. Exactly, and you, yeah. And, and you can, it's like, you can't, oh, okay. so it can only be used in a limited location because, it, as you said, the satellite has to be overhead the area so that it can fire a laser 
from said satellite. And if there isn't a satellite overhead, you can't use it because there's only so many in orbit, and we don't, and we can't control them anymore. Mm-hmm. And they keep, and every year, more and more of them either run out of ammo or just crash because they re-enter the Earth's atmosphere and burn up, and we can't send up more. I know that's a plot point. I didn't really play much of it, but I know within Gears of War Five that the the driving plot at the start of the game was that Dom's figured out how to like build more of them. Which is like, oh yeah, that's going to be a game changer because it's the best thing we have. Yeah. Like, they end every conflict instantly. They're the best. Literally, it's how you end the Gears of War 3 like, trilogy. It is, yeah. And it's probably the hypest moment in any game because what they do is they okay, we use the last of humanity's resources to reposition every Hammer of Dawn satellite over the same location at once <laughs> and they give like five people them and every time it's like, okay, so now you can call in every Hammer of Dawn in existence in at the same time. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, oh, it's so good. Just orbital bombardment. Fuck yeah, and I love that weapon. And I love that as an explanation for it in Gears of War, of all things. Yeah, a game that everyone just assumed uh, was like wide men shouting and shooting yeah. guns. It's a big meathead shooter. And no, there's a, there's a lot of lore there. They don't really talk about it much, but it is. And they put more thought into it than not at all. And I yeah. love comparing it to something like Star Wars, where they clearly don't give a shit and just make it up as they go along. <laughs> it's like even Gears of War. Like if you put Gears of War and say, do you think the world building in Gears of War is better than Star Wars? So of course it's not. And then you look at the books. Actually, no, there's a lot of world building here. There's a lot of like really subtle things in just some of the games. Oh, like, it's like, oh yeah, you can't use the Hammer of Dawn inside. Like it's a satellite and we can't move it. Humanity's on its last legs. We've got to do. We've got to make do with what we have. And then you've got Star Wars where um, other lightsabers work. We don't know. We don't yeah. know how the force works. George Lucas tried to explain it and made it worse. And that's the thing is, I think it's um, the difference between trying to build a story and a universe before creating anything yes. or then having to try and do the retro Retrofit. Expand and retcon it as you're going. Like, um, make it as you go along. And we can talk mm. about that all day. But, like, uh, we kind of got away from talking about your weeks. There's something you did this week, Lucas, didn't you? That... I was curious to talk about this week just because of how meta it is. Would you like yeah. to explain to the lovely folks at home what it was? Uh, so, weirdly enough, we're talking about on a podcast, but I am making a podcast. Yeah, thanks for that, mate. Because that uh, is yeah. branching out already, Lucas. <laughs> so the idea is, they like, grew up so as fast. anyone that's listened to the, the podcast so far will know, uh, we generally just kind of like improvise a conversation. Yeah, there's no about what's been happening reason. and anything that comes to mind and go on tangents. Whereas this is something that I want to do where it was a podcast solely focused on games. More structured. Yeah, for sure. Okay, now tell me about your podcast. So Lucas, on this podcast that you're being paid to appear on, um, talk about your podcast and advertise it. <laughs> so we should have said, yeah, this podcast is sponsored by Lucas's podcast. <laughs> Fuck it, why not? I can do what I want. Tell us, Lucas, describe it to us. my podcast sponsored by yours because you pay me on this one. Yeah, I do, but whatever. Um, can I do that? When yeah. On your next podcast, can I pay you like a tenner and say this podcast is sponsored by Carl's Podcast? And you give me that tenner back and sponsor this one. Yeah, sure. And we just trade backwards and forwards and that's yeah, how it goes. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go meta, Carl. Let's do it. Okay, so describe your podcast to Lucas. Sell it to the audience. Okay, so um, again, it's a gaming podcast. Um, the name that I've settled on is Setting the Bar... And it's a great games podcast. And basically the idea is uh, every single week um, I will get 
a guest to join me to talk about a video game. And okay. the idea is... Um, so I know nothing about this, so I'm learning about this as well. Yeah, Carl is learning about this on the phone. I keep saying every week, uh, it's not weekly, I, I haven't decided a schedule for it, I don't think I've got the resources to make it weekly yet. Maybe not, uh, but... But, anyway, however often I do the podcast, maybe like weekly, monthly, bi-weekly, I'm not sure, um, I will get a guest on, and they will bring one of their favourite games like to the conversation, and we will talk about that. And oh, I, okay. I will not know about the game in advance, and the idea is either they bring a game to me that we both really enjoy, and we can both just like, you know, gush over the game for a bit, mm-hmm. or it's a game I've not played or I don't like, and they've got to kind of turn me around on the game. So just bring in a game that you really enjoy, like sell, sell the game to people. Essentially, yeah, and hopefully it will just be um, a podcast that's very positive and just here's why games are really cool. We need more of that. We do. We, we need more positivity. And that's kind of what I settled on. And the idea for this has been always that I wanted to make a game podcast, didn't quite know what I wanted to do with it. And it's then now that all of this negativity has happened... Like, let's just have fun and talk about cool games. Not to mention as well, like, gaming podcasts is probably the most saturated market imaginable for any creator. I think the only one that's more saturated is talking about crimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, making a true crime podcast. Yeah. Maybe. is like, talking about games one. I know of, like, three of those just off the mm. top of my head. Yeah. So at least you're approaching it with a, a unique twist. And uh, you've recorded one already, haven't you? That's what you did this week. Uh, that is something I did this week. Uh, yes. Who was your guest? So- Recorded essentially what is like the pilot episode for the podcast. And I uh, recorded with my girlfriend Jenna, who I live with. And I say like the idea was to not know about what game we're talking about. That's not the case for this first episode. I was going to say that, yeah. Do you not know your girlfriend's favourite video game? Well, yeah. Like this week, spoilers, we talk about Animal Crossing. Specifically the latest version on the Switch. And um, the if I've done everything right... It will be available on my YouTube channel yesterday from listening. Well, okay, cool. We'll t- give people, tell people the thing to search for. Uh, so it's Legend of Kanto on YouTube. So, uh, yeah. I should have it on Spotify as well at that point. So it will be setting Ooh, the bar. Direct competition. A great games podcast on Spotify as well. So I want to have a video version and an audio version uh, if I can keep that up. And yeah, hopefully, you know, this is Carl's invitation on the fly. I'm hoping that Carl, you will soon record one with me, and we can just like you know webcam each other, and I'll figure out how to record that. Yeah, I'll and, be uh, so. you can just like think the game to come and like gush over with me. Yeah, sounds like a laugh. Um, I'd like the other on my podcast on this one. The thing you're doing is yeah, um, mine's better because you get video. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's just something that I personally want to do, and oh, it's only because know. most of the podcasts I listen to I watch on YouTube. That's a fair point, yeah. There's nowhere really to upload this, is there? Uh, no, not really. Without making a completely separate account on YouTube. Yeah. See, we can't really upload to the main fact theme one. No. Because it'd create the viewership. Exactly. Um, for, for behind the scenes reasons of, if you upload a two and a half hour long video, on a, um, generally the viewership we normally get per average video is nine minutes. Mm-hmm. And um, YouTube metrics work by percentage. Yeah. So if people are only watching a specific percentage of your video... And say so you upload a podcast, it's like this one, like what, nearly two hours. 
Mm-hmm. People, when people watch 10 minutes of that, that looks and really bad to YouTube metrics and they'll it'll crater your um, uh, search rankings. That thing is the difference between, um, for example, like my videos and Fat Fiend videos. Are a, mine are a lot longer in general because they're like long Let's Plays. Yeah. But B, I have a subscriber base of roughly 5,000 and it's still growing and YouTube's still kind of trying to figure out what my audience like watches and who we should recommend to. And also whereas, you're still feeling out the length of videos and the content that you do, whereas like Fact Phoenix has a very, very specific audience. Exactly, and a very large audience. And if you throw something completely different, and as you say, much, much longer onto that channel, it will stop getting views. And then YouTube will go, oh, well, Fact Phoenix doesn't get views. Let's stop recommending it to people. I also have the thing as, uh, in my head of... Um, if we started doing it now, people are like, well, why aren't the old episodes got it? Oh. Oh, God, <laughs> That's yeah. always my worry. If I do it for one, then I've got to do it for everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe something like people gave a shit. Maybe I could do it on my own channel. Maybe yeah, I yeah. Uh, but I'm not sure though, like... like... Oh, sorry, I was going to say, I'm not sure like what value seeing me would add. No, no, I agree. Of like, oh, people would... Oh, it's visual. But all they do see is me sat not moving, wearing a set of headphones. Yeah, and the idea for um, my podcast... Is they can show the game. To be able to show the game, yeah. I will record footage of the game and overlay it with the podcast, whereas it's very hard to overlay things for this podcast. It would just be all faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's the point. So, yeah, yeah I think there's Luke, a lot more of a reason to have, like video footage online because people can see what we are talking about in real time. I like the idea of how meta that is. You're going to promote your podcast on my podcast. Hey man, like, come and be on my podcast and promote this. Is that not? Like, it's just it's the de facto thing now, isn't it? I don't know a single guy my age who's not been like, oh man, I should do a podcast. Yeah. The only reason I do this is literally because the company reached out and went, you should do one. Mm-hmm. And they offered me money. I'm like, yes. I didn't even know I could make money doing this. <laughs> you're, you're gonna pay me a chat shit awesome that sounds great and I kind of wish that's the thing I'd throw myself into because by the sounds of it with all the other ones like you don't even need to be knowledgeable about anything so I've seen some right fucking morons run podcasts <laughs> I've seen I have seen some horrifically bad takes on stuff like movie yeah, review ones and stuff this podcast isn't one of those podcasts yeah, it should be good you, seem to be, you know your stuff yeah uh, I try and the idea is even if I don't know much about the game, the person who brings the game to me is one of their favourite games of all time and they should know a fucking lot about it. And hopefully be able to talk about it with enough passion to encourage people to do it. Exactly, yes. What are you going to do then? People start just bringing in the same game. Like, can you imagine how boring it would be if you invited like, a few guests on the old set, Grand Theft Auto V? Uh, well, I think it will just be a thing of um, maybe I'll keep a running document. And it's a good thing you mentioned it because that is a good point. And maybe every time I've got a new guest coming on or I'm recording a new one, it's like, look, like, look up a game, think of a game, whatever you want to do, whether you want to prep yourself or not, here's a list of games to not pull up because they've already had an episode. What I'd be worried about, though, is just like how boring someone like that bits. It's like when you ask someone, oh, what's your favourite movie? And they say something like Avengers. (laughs) It's a fine movie. But you say, oh, my favourite movie. Or like they say, what's your favourite movie? The Dark Knight. Yeah. And that's it. 
And like, you know what, if someone wants to come at, like, my podcast with GTA 5 and try to tell me why it's their favourite game, if they've got something interesting to talk about, fair enough. It's just that thing, though, oh, it's that when you see, oh, lists of, when people say their favourite, when you look at someone's Twitter profile, and their Twitter profile is, uh, oh, I love Marvel movies and and play Call of Duty. Yeah. And that's it, and their personality is that, and they can't think about stuff in, like, any greater level of depth than it is fun to shoot the gun. Or I like seeing the Iron Man do the uni beam <laughs> out of his chest. See, the thing I can't wait for, Carl, I can't wait for inviting a friend on. It's like, oh, so what's, what's the game that you want to talk about today, FIFA? It's like, oh no. Well, think oh, that no. could work if it's a very specific FIFA. Because if they said FIFA 20, it's like, you know, that's not your favourite game. It's, it's your just the most series. relevant one. But I would be really interested if someone like to highlight like, maybe like just a random year like FIFA 2001. Why? Because this had this feature that was super interesting and good and they've never put it back in. I would love to see someone delve into the mechanics or something like that but you know it wouldn't be that. It'd just be your favourite game whatever the newest FIFA is. Yeah, of course. And I, I will actually What's your favourite game? Not, Rocket League. Sure. I'm not sure which year it was. I feel like it was maybe like 07, 08 kind of FIFA year where there was one that um, you could basically get certain players to score from the halfway line Which just every single time without fail. And that was my favourite. That was my favourite feature, is just booting the ball 50 yards and scoring a guaranteed goal. Just toe-poking it into the back of the net. But like, it'd be like meeting someone, like, what's your favourite movie? Avengers Age of Ultron. Like, it's like, oh, what boring fucking person. No, I You've got no hear. personality. I would want to hear why of all Avengers they picked Age of Ultron. That would be a conversation I'm fucking interested in. But it's like, um, like would you, it's one of the reasons I don't really listen to many podcasts, because a lot of pop culture ones especially, mm-hmm. they just delve into this and all they ever fucking talk about is Star Wars. And I get it, we talked about Star Wars on this very podcast. Yep. I'd like to think we, do- we dove into like a slightly more interesting aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And like when we talk about Mass Effect, we didn't say, oh, it's a great game. We talked about, here's some weird behind-the-scenes lore that we find interesting. Yeah. But I have definitely seen before like the conversation about a video game or a film or a comic book or a TV show. And the conversation is just, yeah, I really thought it looked cool. Like, I love Game <laughs> of Thrones. Like, that fa- that Dothraki fight scene, was re- the visual of all the swords setting on fire was really cool. Do you want to talk about like the meaning behind it or how like, you know they built it up or... Um, how it impacted uh, the story as a whole on a Mac. No, I thought. Or it even cool. like, yeah, the cinematography of it, or anything interesting, or sa- or any element beyond just what your eyes picked up. Yeah, and I can't. Im- and I've seen that so much, and it's so fucking boring. Like reviews of films where they don't, where they talk about, oh yeah, and it's a visual spectacle. Why? Why <laughs> is it a visual spectacle? What is it about this film that makes it look great? You're the person reviewing the film. Tell me. Yeah. And I just love one. It's like, oh, um, I was listening to a podcast recently and they were talking about like certain phrases they don't like to use in reviews for games. And one was like, oh, um, the gameplay or the story, etc., was better than you'd expect. And it's well, like, I don't... That gives me no information. Because what do I expect? Yeah, and it's just like that's one of the things they were talking about. Like, do not use this phrasing because it gives no information at but it's, all it's like, but it makes you feel like you're giving information which actually makes it worse yeah. <laughs> because you feel like you're giving them out of information so you don't feel the need to qualify what it means mm-hmm. and that's why I say if you ever want to review anything if you want to review something you need passion maybe not for the thing you're reviewing but for the, the subject as a whole 
Yeah. If you ever want to see a great example of how to review something properly, go look at that young lad from London who reviewed fried chicken. Oh, yeah. And I forget the name of the YouTube channel, but he's a young lad who lived in London. And one of the things that he liked to do, um, I think it's like once a week, um, he'd leave his school. Because the thing you do when you get to a certain point in high school in the UK is you can go out for your lunch. Yeah. You go to in London, especially, is like just absolutely chock a block with takeaways. Mm. It's like a really densely populated city, and he just started reviewing fried chicken and chips from the various takeaways around his school. I'm not and sure talking... if I'm thinking of the same guy, but I think he got a Channel Four TV show. I think he did. Yes. Is yeah. Went really viral because it's not that like he just said the chicken's nice. Mm-hmm. Like he went into it and he explains he had a passion for this. Like it seems like something simple. Like it's fried chicken. Who gives? Like, no man. It's really serious. And there's a lot of there's little things in it that you'd know that you maybe a more, less refined palate wouldn't notice, but he does because he loves it and he can ex- and he explained it in a way where you realise, okay, I never thought about it that way, yeah. But now I do, thanks to your review. And you translate that to any other piece of media where you don't want a review to say something that you can tell by looking at the trailer, mm-hmm. I, or I even build... like the the prequels or whatever. That's why like, it's the Plinkett reviews are just held in like such high regard. Where they're the, the one hour long Star Wars reviews, which basically kickstarted film review on YouTube. Oh, okay. Where uh, in the Plinkett reviews, people don't know, it's Red Letter Media, where they are an hour and a half long breakdowns of each film in the prequel trilogy, explaining why they don't work. And there's little, again, there's things in there that you'd never notice viewing it casually. But when you think about it, as you do when you hear it pointed out to you, you realise, yeah, that is a good point. One yeah. of which is um, who is the main character of The Phantom Menace? Uh, well, I'm not sure whether this is the right or wrong answer, but the idea is that it's meant to be Anakin Skywalker. It is, but he's not introduced till 45 minutes into the movie. So who's the main character? Is it Qui-Gon Jinn? But he dies. Um, I actually think that the prequel films are a better story for Obi-Wan than Anakin. Yeah, but who's the main character of The Phantom Menace? Well, I mean, that's the thing is... The, the fact the that you first, can't answer that question... Out of the film, you'd say Obi-Wan, but it's actually meant to be Anakin. Yeah, and the fact that you don't have a definitive answer is a, is a question that... Like, the fact you're even asking that question that people can't answer it says a lot about the film. It does, And another yeah. one is where... Uh, for the What they do is they ask people, okay, uh, without um, saying the character's name, describe Han Solo to me. So you could do the same experiment. So, I'm going to, so Lucas, without saying the character's name, just describe Han Solo. Space cowboy. Yeah. Is there any other? What words would you use to describe Han Solo as a character? Um. Yeah, like I'm, I'm trying. I'm to know, I'm going to put you on the spot with this. I would this say one, he's like charming, uh, smug, quite cheeky and playful. A dashing um, rogue type. But at the same time, like, quite skilled at what he does. Honourable. And then Princess Leia. Any, any words that pop to mind to describe Princess Leia? Right, or uh, a character cunning. archetype that would describe her? I'd say cunning, for sure. Mm-hmm. And then Darth Vader. Any words to describe Darth Vader? Intimidating. Strong. Powerful. Frightening. Powerful, yeah. Um, okay, now describe um, Qui-Gon Jinn. Uh, Liam Neeson. Yeah. But describe him, uh, okay, what about Obi-Wan Kenobi, but only in The Force Awakens? You can't use any of the memes stuff of the second film. How about Darth Maul, the primary villain in the movie? Describe him. Without using his name. Uh, badass and edgy. <laughs> what's, what's his motivation? 
Like, that thing is, you can describe, like, Darth Maul, for example, you can describe his... He's red. Appearance. You, know, did, yeah. you can describe what he looks like, but can you describe him as a character? You can describe his style and his appearance, but you can't describe a character. No, but you can with Han Solo. Yeah. Like his, his outfit's incidental. It's iconic now, but you can tell he's a dashing rogue. Yeah. You know, he like, shoots first, asks questions later, quite literally in some cases, gets the girl. Unless she's like, He's charming. Him, yeah, or whatever. But, and that's one of the things they point out in the Plinkett review. And again, it's something you wouldn't have noticed. Or maybe like, someone who's not as well-versed in film theory would have noticed. When you've realised the point, like, yeah, there is... Wait, yeah, you can't describe these characters, which makes them bad characters. Yeah. And it allows you to verbalise something that maybe you notice but could never put... Like, describe yourself. Like, of, you think the characters in the film are bad, but you don't know why. Mm-hmm. And then to hear it explained by a skilled reviewer, then you've got... You found, you have the words or the example that you can point to of why um, maybe you had the feeling that the film wasn't very great. And that's the value of a review, or a good one at least. Yeah. And then you compare it to, like, some other really bad film reviews, like the guy who does Cinema Sins. Have you ever seen any of his reviews? Uh, yeah, like, I've watched quite a few of them. Not, not in the sense of, like... Oh, these are really good reviews, but I more just watch them as like no, I don't mean cinema sins. They're comedy I mean, shows, not cinema sins. I mean the guy who does cinema sins also does movie reviews. Oh no, I've not seen that because the defense that he always uses for why well cinema sins uh, misunderstands the film in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. and it's very clear that you're sometimes you just you don't get major themes and plot points, or seemingly just ignore them. Yeah, and you ignore stuff that's explained to you in the film. And he's always maintained, well, no, because these, these things are the, the satire. Yeah. I'm playing a character, and the character is, an, is a nitpicky asshole who thinks he's right but isn't always right. Yeah. Because that's fair enough, but the guy who does the videos in his film reviews makes the exact same points. Oh, God. And it's clear that he doesn't understand film, and he's just a very poor person at articulating whether yeah. or not a film is good or bad because he doesn't seemingly understand the medium. The, the way I would say that is, yeah, maybe stick to CinemaSins because, again, I've watched some of those as, like, comedy videos and comedy commentary. Because but, the problem, yeah, but the problem is people think of them as reviews. Yeah, that's the issue because I see it as, yeah, again, just stupid nitpicky stuff that's fun to look at. But, yeah, don't treat them like fucking movie reviews. But people do. And, like, CinemaSins especially as, like, so... And, like, the Angry Joe reviews where it's just scream loudly about things and then keep using the word plot hole. Yeah. Like, use the word plot hole because it makes it sound like you're smart, that you figured something out that the movie didn't want you to. Or use the word MacGuffin a lot. Yeah, there's there's a deeper level to this, and it's like, oh. And then you compare it to like the Red Letter Media reviews where that simple question of describe the character without without using their name or telling us what they look like, and you just go, I can't. Because that highlights that's a bad character. A character you can't do that to is not a good character. So what I will say is like, um, can, so hopefully, you, yeah, sorry. can you tell me, is it like just Red Letter Media on YouTube is where we can Red Letter Media, yeah. Because I need to go and watch these because you They're can famous, talk yeah, about that's... them as if like this kicked them off, but I've never seen these. So they sound like from your recommendation, very good videos to watch. Well, the Plinkit reviews are like, they're famous and it's what made the channel so big, but it's one of those early viral videos where mm-hmm. people were talking about it on TV. Because um, it might sound like fairly normal now to have a two-hour, one-hour-long review of a movie. Yeah. Some of the some of the Plinkett reviews are longer than the movies they're based on. Mm-hmm. 
and he plays a character in them, but um, like the character's kind of weird. So just listen to listen to what he's saying, but like some of the jokes maybe would probably fall a bit flat because they're very clearly from like ten years ago. Of course, uh, yeah. And, um, it uh, might sound a bit weird today to have like a two-hour-long movie review, given that that's what every podcast is now. Every podcast is a two-hour-long movie review, but that yeah. started that trend, and like I said, it was on the news and like actual celebrities and people involved with the movies. We're sharing them around like, dude, have you seen that two-hour-long breakdown of why the Phantom Menace sucks? And Fair enough. Like, again, in academia. Not trying to take away from them at all. Uh, I just personally haven't heard of them, but I will make sure to like take some time out and watch them. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things I just assume everyone who's like has seen them because they're just so ingrained in like pop culture now. It's one of the reasons that people think like the prequels are bad. Is largely as real of those movies pointing out the massive, massive flaws nobody else in a bit articulate up to that point. Yeah, because it, no one might like this might have been erased from the internet's memory, but people were pretty high on the prequels when they came out. That's what they point out as well. Yeah, they mentioned right. that people were really hyped for them at the time. Yeah, and it's just the guy who runs it. He's Mike Staclasa. He's just a really, really smart dude in regards to film. Mm-hmm. And he's a really he's a massive film buff and seems to just know what he's talking about. That's awesome. And like when you watch those reviews and then you compare it to like the the things that like the imitators that sprung up as a result of them, like the people who say, "Oh yeah, people want to see a two hour tear down of the movie and yeah. highlighting every little thing that's wrong." Cause, yeah, there's an hour. There's, yeah, that's something people probably would find entertaining, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't say it's as informative. If you can, you can say that it's wrong or it's bad, but are you explaining why? Yeah. Right, so they do a really good breakdown. I think you did one of the um, the Ghostbusters movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 2016 one, where they talk about the fact, like, uh, a lot of people know that it's bad. and It's been said online to death that that film is bad. Yeah. And they explain why, and he like, refers to the, And they show you edits that they do. Uh, here's a scene um, from the movie. It shows you, it's like, oh, it's just them riffing. And he talks about, that. well, they're ad-libbing. And the ad-libs make it worse and they ruin the tension. Because one of the things that the original Ghostbusters did is that they, uh, they're they uh, careful to make sure that the things that you see on screen, um, you realise that they're fantastical via the reaction of the characters because the characters react to the things like they're fantastical and amazing. Yeah. Uh, whereas the characters in this treat them like props, which right. means that their impact falls flat. And like they re-edit a scene in the film where it's them walking through the sewers and throughout the entire time in the original, they're just making dumb quips mm. and the music's all happy and it means that the impact of the ghost coming in is lost. Yeah. And then the joke at the end is they try and fire like the proton pack mm. and it like falls flat and that's the joke. But because obviously they've been um, making witty, unfunny banter that entire time, the joke also falls flat because mm. you've not really had time to breathe and then he re-edits it um, just on atmospheric noise in the background it's just them walking around looking it's that build tension yeah so that when you get the inevitable joke of the proton pack not working um, it's a punchline to the end of a well-crafted scene and I'm probably not doing it justice but they sh- when they show it it's like oh yeah that would work better and that mm. is a better way to craft a comedy movie and I didn't really think of it like that so I saw it explained here and yeah that's really cool Like I really like the um, not I've seen other people do it in the past, but the idea of recontextualizing scenes and like, oh, this isn't inherently bad. Like you can make this work with what they've got, but things like yeah, 
awful ad-lib jokes ruin them. Yeah, especially when they're supposed to be playing scientists. And it's like, you don't buy them as scientists. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways it's summed up is, I can believe that... Um, I forget the name, that's now. It's going to really... Um, I apologise. The guy who plays um, Egon in the original Ghostbusters, I can believe that that guy built a proton pack. Because he looks like a huge fucking nerd and he talks like yeah. a scientist because he's, he talks like a weird, awkward nerd. I was just trying I, to think I, of his name, but yeah, I can't, can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, but the other one is that I don't believe that Melissa McCarthy's character could build a proton pack because she never shuts the fuck up. And she's not, and she never, it's never established via the character you see on screen that she's intelligent. Yeah. Is it Rob Zemeckis? Oh. No, no, that, uh, the director was Ivan Reitman. Oh, Ivan, right. Ivan Reitman, the director. Is, um, we can look it up now. Cause, like, I will have a look up because I've probably like... Put some respect on that guy's name. Uh, the original Ghostbusters, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Harold Ramis, there we go. Ah, right, okay, yeah. And that's the one I'm like, I can believe that Harold Ramis built a proton pack because the film establishes that he's smart and the things that he does. Stereotypical in a sense, like he wears the big nerdy glasses and he talks. And he, he yeah, does that like, thing, he pushes up his glasses and talks. And he's socially awkward, but from the way that character's portrayed, I can believe that he's as intelligent the movie tells me that he is. I can't do the same thing. Yeah. For the 2016 reboot, because the characters act like fucking idiots. God. And again, it's just a thing that um, I've heard people say that film is bad. I've heard people say it's not funny. I've heard yeah, people yeah. say that Melissa McCarthy, is, in particular, is like her character's not funny and the jokes fall flat. But you rarely hear them explain why they fall flat. And it's interesting to see that. And to bring it back to like talking about games, mm. uh, in the same way of like, Someone bringing up like FIFA, it's, like, it's my favourite game. Why? I like football. I imagine that'd be really, really like that would be like pulling teeth of talking to someone who's not able to articulate why they find something interesting. Yeah. And trying to make sure. it entertaining. Like, oh, what's your favourite game? It's Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Why? It's fun. Played it with the boys back in uni. Okay, yeah. What, what is it about the game that makes you think it's fun? Is there anything about game, the game design that makes you like really drew you in? No, it's, it's fun to shoot the gun. The last thing is, I think it's very similar to um, maybe talking about one I hear a lot of like stories about, it, which is Goldeneye on the N64. Yeah, everyone says it's one of the best first-person per- first shooters ever. And a lot of people will go, well, like, why do you love the game? I said, well, I had a lot of fun playing it like with my friends on four-player split screen. It's like, oh, right, okay. But then if you actually look at why the game was good... It like had really good level design, and like the missions were really interesting with a lot of like additional like side missions that you could do and unlockable mm-hmm. content and stuff. A lot of every time I hear somebody talk about the game, it's like, oh, it's fun to play with my friends. So like, okay, great. So, right. so I hope Luke, you, you can avoid. And I probably sound really fucking. Um, I'm trying to think of the word would be now pretentious, maybe. So I need to clarify, I studied, this was my fucking degree. <laughs> yeah. My degree at university was media theory and how to and how media is used and how it can influence people and the effect that it has on um, people and mm. breaking down things like, okay, so why do specific pieces of media work this way and how do they um, influence society and things of that nature? So this was my degree. This is the thing I genuinely find interesting. So I've studied a lot. Uh, film theory was the thing that I studied on the side. So I, did, um, I didn't do a proper film degree, but I did media and film as one of yeah. my um, uh, courses during the university. So I spent like eight months studying um, film theory and how that works as well. And it's also what I did at college. So I did two years of it at college as well. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, yeah. like, I did um, 
like English literature and theatre studies at a college. So like I have obviously in a different medium, uh, a lot of it was focused on like critical thinking about like plays and poetry, mm-hmm. but still kind of the similar idea of delving into something a bit deeper than what's on the surface. Yeah. And it's something as well I really enjoy. Cause, uh, my mm-hmm. days are cracked. One of the things I really liked about that is like breaking down film logic. Uh, yeah. Um, Cause it's easy enough to say something like in regards to like Star Wars. Uh, for, um, so this is the example of, it makes like, some of the stuff in that film makes no sense if you mm. view it by the rules now. But it may, it's even more fun, at least to me, to break it down by the rules of its own universe. Yeah. And uh, like, Star Wars is probably a bad example because the one that always seems uh, the better example is Harry Potter. Mm. And Harry Potter, you can, it's, you can, it's easy to say Harry Potter makes no sense because there's magic. And it's very easy to just say, well, magic's not real. And that, sh- and that doesn't really elicit much conversation. But it's much more fun to, at least to me, is to discuss the universe if you use the logic of it. So you start. So imagine magic is real. Everything in Harry Potter is as it's presented. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Now, now let's break down why the fuck that Quidditch doesn't work. Okay. Because um, Quidditch, it sounds stupid when you break it down. And uh, the way it does, what people don't know, uh, Quidditch is you score a bludger. It's 10 points. Uh, if you get a bludger through a hole. And the game ends when someone catches the snitch. And the snitch gets you 150 points. So it's the equivalent of 15 goals. And when you catch the snitch, the game instantly ends. Yeah. So that's so you need to be winning by the equivalent of 15-0. You need to be beating the enemy team 15-0. Oh no, sorry, 16-0. And they need to and if they get the snitch, they win. Oh sorry, uh, sorry, unless you're winning by 16-0, uh, when the opponent gets the snitch, they instantly win. So there is no yes, reason yeah. to ever not do anything but go for the snitch. Mm-hmm. Right, and that is by the and that's breaking down by the logic of the universe as it's established in the books, and that's really fun to me. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the same time, now it's break down. Okay, so in that universe, like, why don't people just? Why don't you just get four hundred people? Why don't you just get all the people to go for the snitch? It doesn't fucking matter if they score a bunch of goals while you're not <laughs> guarding the net, because unless they can score sixteen in a row unguarded, yeah, it doesn't matter. And then you can look at other things in the book, such as. Uh, you can guess that professional Quidditch loosely follows the same rules established as Quidditch has played in schools. That's, that's a fair assumption to make, correct? Based on what the books t- tell you? Um, based on what they tell you, I would assume so, because like, even, for example, um, Victor Crumb is still in high school playing Quidditch against like, you know, the likes of Harry Potter when he's in the Quidditch World Cup. Okay, so let's break down another thing that doesn't make sense, and that is that... Okay, so Lucas, how does Malfoy get onto the team in second year? Uh, he buys everybody. I can't remember the name. Nimbus so 2001. Fireball, but it's not. Nimbus 2000s. Uh, Nimbus 2001. It's one better than Harry's. He buys the entire team that. And what's why is a Nimbus 2001 so good, Lucas? Uh, because they are the fastest broom around. They are the fastest production broom in the world at the time. And just for a moment, Lucas, think about that for a moment. Just think about that uh, and then translate it um, to the real world and using our like so in the logic of the universe uh, that it's apparently perfectly fine that you can get a faster broom a broom that is goes it is in every way better than what the opponents have it goes faster it has tighter turning mm-hmm. it is just better and for some reason it is not against the rules to just have that well Carl I will whether you're knowledgeable on this or not, refer you to the world of F1. 
Okay. Uh, where essentially that was allowed for a long time. Until they realise it's not fair because the company with the most money can just build the fastest car. I believe I'm not too much of a, like, a knowledgeable person on the situation, but I believe essentially for a few years, Red Bull just won everything because they, like, just on paper had by far and away the best car. I might be getting just threw, wrong, but I think it was Red Bull. They just threw money at it, and it was the same in, um, oh God, what's it now? Football, mm-hmm. where they had to limit the amount of money that teams could spend because the teams that had the most money would just buy all the best players, and then yep. they'd bench them the entire season. Yep. Because even if you're not going to play a, a £25 million player, it's better than your opponent playing them against you. So teams were buying really good players and then just benching them so other teams couldn't have them, yeah. which is not fair. And, is, and is a, it's not against the rules, but it's against the spirit of sport and competition. Yeah. And then you would think um, to... away, for example, F1. This is word, you know, from the lovely Adam Varley, mm-hmm. uh, friend, friend of the podcast. Uh, he is like, he said that they've introduced a rule where they have like a spending limit now. Because if you don't have that, people would just spend so much and just basically just throw money at the problem until they win. They can just engineer the best car, which is what happened in the past. Because when money's no object, you're going to have a fast car. And the thing about that in, like, um, in Harry Potter, though, apparently it's perfectly fine to outfit your entire team with the best brooms in the world. And it's not like in football, say, where you, like for the kit. Like, yeah. say, oh, we're given... Everyone on our team is wearing, like, 500-pound shoes. Mm-hmm. And the difference between a, fo- a pair of five hundred pound football boots and a cheaper pair uh, is it's uh, there might be a, a couple like a fraction of a percentage points. Oh, don't say that, Paul. The the five hundred pound shoes must be ten thousand times. <laughs> I, I just mean in regards to like uh, Usain Bolt. You're not going to beat Usain Bolt in a sprint if you buy a more expensive pair of shoes than he does. Like exactly, his, nat- yeah. his natural ability is still the deciding factor in his victory. Yeah. In Harry Potter, in Quidditch, you can literally buy something that goes faster than everything your opponent has, and um, it could be on know, paper better in... through being Harry Potter because he's got a Nimbus two thousand and he catches the snitch. And Malfoy's not a skill, but think about that. But the rest of their team is going faster than the other team can because they can afford it, and they're in school. But you know what that says to me is that Harry Potter's a fucking selfish asshole. Why didn't he use his vault full of money to buy everyone a Nimbus 2000 with him? He could have done that. Well, that's the thing as well. And again, to judge the universe by its own logic, um, in one novel, I think it's um, Half-Blood Prince, maybe? Um, okay. Harry, t- um, Harry is walking around um, Diagon Alley. Yeah. And he talks about the fact that he keeps going to the broom shop and looking at the fireball. Yeah. And a throwaway line that J.K. Rowling evidently didn't think too much about is that Harry says he wanted to buy the fireball... But he knows if he would have em- even if he emptied his entire vault, he wouldn't be able to afford it. And that's a throwaway line. So it's, this is like the Ferrari, the Lamborghini of brooms, right? But oh, well, yeah, okay. But Harry so, Potter is one of the richest people in that universe. Exactly. Think about this for a moment, right? And again, it's a throwaway line, but I, it's really fun if you break it down by the logic of the universe it's in and talk and delve in. Because you just say, oh, it's. The boring thing to do would be to say, well, it's just a, it's a, a one line in the book. Why do you give a shit? The more fun thing to do is, okay, now let's break down. How much money does Harry actually have? Yeah. If he has what amounts to an entire vault full of gold, which I think in one novel they even say that, the entire Weasley fortune 
is a a small pile of is it nuts, galleons, and sickles. And galleons are the gold ones. Nuts and sickles are the silver and bronze ones. I know about galleons, but I wouldn't be able to say about the other two. I think that's it. And they say that the Weasley entire Weasley fortune, their entire family, has a small vault that has um, a couple of nuts with a few sickles, and then one or two galleons. They barely have anything. And then they say in the same book that he has to, he goes to his vault while the Weasley family is with him, and they see him walk into this entire room full of gold, just galleons on and ga- galleons upon galleons. And Ron gets really pissed off about it. Because it's like, oh, you're rich as fuck. And they even have like a thing where um, at the, the Quidditch World Cup, um, um, the uh, I think they get leprechauns in as celebration. And the leprechauns drop um, gold coins, hmm. which people pick up and Ron picks a load up. And so does Harry. And then they disappear because it's leprechaun gold and, lepre- and leprechaun gold doesn't stay there. And uh, right. Harry doesn't notice it. To which Ron responds, well, you've got an entire vault full of gold. No wonder you don't notice it, because Harry didn't notice the equivalent of $100 bills falling from the sky. <laughs> because he has no understanding of what money's worth, because he has an inf- he has a seemingly infinite amount of it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Ron, who lives in that world, is feverishly picking these things up, sh- and it like shows how valuable they really are, and Harry doesn't give a shit. Yeah. So you bring that back to the thing about the firebolt, where if he emptied his entire vault, he wouldn't be able to afford it. How expensive is that fucking broom? And why is a consumer product? That, so it's, like I say, it's the equivalent of a Ferrari. And they say at the end of the book that Sirius buys it for him with the Black Fortune, which Harry also inherits. <laughs> because they even have a throwaway line in the next book after Sirius dies where they talk when they're reading out Sirius's will. And they and talk about... everything and they, goes to Harry. And they say, yeah, we left everything to Harry. And don't worry, all the, vault, all the gold from Sirius's vault was added to your own. Money. And they say it as if it's nothing because Harry has this seemingly infinite supply of gold, but yet this amount of money that's so vast that Harry seemingly never has to worry about it running out ever is not enough to buy a single broom. Yeah. And they talk about the Nimbus 2000. So you can probably say the Nimbus 2000 was probably the equivalent of that broom. Well, it was like, a few the years ago. highest end broom at the time he got it. And Malfoy's dad buys 20 of them <laughs> on a whim for his son. So how rich are the Malfoys? Yeah. And, it's, and that's me. That's one throwaway line that we just had a 20-minute conversation about trying to delve into. Because it's <laughs> fun to try and explore what that means. And I love that about film. I love it about, again, I love it about media in general. Yeah. And I hope that people don't think it's me trying to be pretentious or trying to like be clever. It's just, it's just really fun to break down and talk about this kind of stuff. Like, okay, but what does that mean? How rich is Harry Potter? I find that super fun to talk about. But Carl, it was cool when they had the fireworks. It was, yeah. It's a cool visual in the film. But that's uh-huh. like the, the conversation that like a lot of people will have and leave it at. But yeah, I really enjoy those types of conversations of, as you say, delving into kind of the rules that the universe sets and how weird some of the lines are because yeah. of it. And try to break and try to make the universe not make sense by its own rules, not by ours. Because yeah. it'd be easy enough to judge by us like magic's not real. Yeah. And that shuts down the conversation right away. But when you do something like that and you break it down and go, okay, well, Harry's every single aspect of the story establishes that Harry is very, very wealthy. And mm-hmm. every character who encounters him talks about the fact that this vault of gold is seemingly endless and he never has to worry about anything ever again. Yeah. And he inherits the entire black fortune on top of all that. And then, then he can't afford a single broom. Mm-hmm. Or the fact that he's talking in school about, oh, well, what do you want to be when you graduate Hogwarts? And he says, an aura, I guess. 
And the reason that, and you think, oh, well, of course he wants to do that. He wants to hunt dark wizards. Yeah. Like, surely Harry Potter wanted to do that. And you think about it, what jobs are there actually in the wizard world? You can work in one of the 20 shops in the only <laughs> magical street in all of Britain or work for the government. Yeah. What other jobs do you actually see in the series ever? Yeah, you see a couple of independent shop owners That's and it. a ministry of magic just full with people. Like, think about it. Like, they don't have builders because there's a line in one book where um, I think it's Miss Weasley. Mm. Um, she repairs the wall to her house instantly. They don't have doctors. Well, they have doctors, but they don't have things like dentists because they yeah. magic their teeth every morning. It's like um, Hermione's parents are dentists and they have people in the, the books asking, well, what's that? <laughs> what's a dentist? And then again, think about it. what jobs are actually established as existing in that universe for wizards. They don't have any education. They don't know math. They don't know science. There's no sex ed. Yeah. And they even say that... Um, teachers. You could be a teacher, yeah. But what do you teach? The same thing everyone else does. But yeah. they, and they've got no jobs in the... They've got no prospects in the real world. Because again, there's a throwaway line where you can go learn. I think it's... Um, they have a, a, a special wizard word for it. You can go learn the equivalent of maths. And they talk about it being one of the least popular courses. Because why the fuck oh, do you need well. to learn maths when you can just magic everything into existence anyway? Yeah, yeah. And you think, well, okay, so Harry is ba- Harry has the equivalent of... He's, he had education when he was 11, and then he's never had any formal education beyond that. Harry is basically a fucking moron. Yeah. He d- he's not got, even got the equivalent of his GCSEs. He can, like, he can barely read and write. Realistically, he shouldn't be able to read or write. I suppose not. He just did spend his entire life outside of school, just in a cupboard. And he has no formal education, really. No. And Hogwarts doesn't teach you how to like do math. Can he add up? How does it? Can he add up? <laughs> do they teach basic biology? Do they teach you like, uh, like sex ed? Do they need to use contraception? Are they warned about that sort of thing? Is that like they even have, they have date rape drugs in that universe? That's how Voldemort was married. Oh, that's how Voldemort was born. Because his mum used a de- yeah, his mum used a um, a love potion um, on a handsome man she had a crush on in her town, oh. and the, and that's literally as Voldemort is born as the result of rape, and um, the the backstory is that she used this love potion on a handsome man in her town, and she hopes after using the love potion on him and making him fuck her to get her pregnant that when she stops slipping the love potion into his food, he'll love her for who she is, and he's immediately repulsed by her. Holy shit. And leaves, and that's one of the reasons that Voldemort hates muggles. It's because his father abandoned her and treated her like a... Um, she was awful. When, in reality, he was basically being brainwashed and raped for two years and had a very legitimate yeah. reason to not want to, like, spend time with that person. And oh it's framed God, as yeah. if, like, oh, no, he didn't fall in love with her who she was and she was heartbroken. It's like, no, she was a criminal. If you yeah. swap the genders in that story, it's fucking horrendous. Mm-hmm. And again, that's a throwaway line in one of the novels. Like when you delve into it, that's terrifying that this exists. That's awful. Well, that's a thing that happens. Jesus and that's a, and imagine how much that must happen with less nefarious wizards. Yeah. Like how many wizards do you think go into the Muggle world and use those potions? Mm-hmm. It, it must happen. We know it does because they even say that it does. They say it's the reason that Voldemort exists. The Jesus. most, the singular, most important character in that universe was born as a direct result of that happening. And again, it's super fun to delve into. Yeah. As disgusting as it is. It certainly is. And, and, it's fun to, and it's fun to break apart universes in that way, rather than just going, it's just magic, don't... Why are you talking about it so much? No, it's fun. It's interesting. <laughs> it is to me anyway. And that's my personality. But we can, we can go there. We can end on. Because I think you, might, you must, Lucas, have gotten yourself 
at least one podcast title out of that. A wizard Hitler was born as a result of date rape. <laughs> There's your title for this one. There's no sponsors here except for you. Do you mind being associated with a podcast that puts that in the title? Hell no. No, I so appreciate being involved in that podcast. No, I fucking love it. It's one of the reasons I, I love Harry Potter for that reason, where it's got really good world building, but not very at the same time bad world building, where you can break apart little things like that, and then when you extrapolate using the logic of the universe it exists in, like it's fucking terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and, yeah. Uh, I just want to say that we are allowed to separately. Like Harry Potter and dislike J.K. Oh yeah, fuck J.K. Rowling. She's awful. She's a horrendous human being. Like, we are allowed to dislike her and still like Harry Potter, goddammit. And if anything, I'm tearing apart her universe. It's terrible. She's an <laughs> awful writer. Yeah. And yeah, like, yeah, trans rights. Fuck you, J.K. Rowling. But she made a very interesting universe that's fun to tear apart. Yes. By its own logic. Oh, dear. Because she thought she was so much smarter than she is. When she wrote it, yeah, and the and it doesn't hold up to this like the even the slightest amount of a detailed scrutiny, and that's why it's super fun to break apart. Yeah, it certainly is, and like when you find a very well written universe, like it can be interesting to have those conversations. Like, of course, but it is really fun to go. Oh my gosh, you didn't think this through to break it apart. It's also it's as well, it's super, super ironic that she's like, nah, man, sex is a con... Like, you, you can't change your gender. Trans like trans women aren't women. They're just men in disguise. They're trying to sneak up. Like, they're all these awful, bigger things. Yeah. And like, there's a potion in her universe that can change you into another person. Yeah. Like, but there's a, there's a scene in one of those books where a guy turns himself to a fucking chair. <laughs> and now imagine that conversation that Sirius has with Harry... Where he's talking about the fact he's an animagus, or whatever the hell it is, where he can turn into a dog. Yeah, he can turn to Padfoot whenever he wants. The conversation that must have taken place of, wow, so he could turn into anything. He goes, yeah, magic allows you to do a lot of things that you wouldn't expect. Well, could you t- well, could a, a, a man, for example, turn into a woman? Well, no, Harry, sex is a constant and can't be changed. <laughs> and then you've got every, like, every actor in the film is going out against her, like uh, Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert Grint, have all come out and said, no, fuck J.K. Rowling, she's awful. I do not agree with anything she says. Yeah, it's just like, thank you for making uh, a series that got me super rich, also fuck you. Yeah, and the the, the best one is Jason Isaacs, um, is really outspoken in regards to the um, trans rights and things like that. Mm-hmm. So even fucking Malfoy's dad <laughs> is like, no, fuck it. And I'd, I hope... That someone managed to collar Ralph Fiennes and ask him. Oh, God, so God. then it'll be even Voldemort doesn't, even the wizard racist doesn't agree with J.K. Rowling. <laughs> oh God, what an awful and ab- abhorrent human being. And it's not even something she should give a shit about. Why does she care? Yeah. She's rich. Why does she give such a massive shit? Like, where at people this point, go for a p- you've made your money. Just shut up and enjoy your life. It's one of those things that where she like her whole argument breaks down to, well, men might start saying that they're women and sneaking into women's bathrooms to rape people. It is a pro tip, JK. It is something like men who are going to rape people don't have to do that. Yeah. They can still like a man can still break like break into the bathroom and do stuff like that. Yep. And just because he says, oh, I identify as a woman, doesn't mean that it's like, you know, free reign to do stuff like that. 
The world is not that South Park episode you're thinking of. <laughs> That's not how the world works. Also, the kind of man who would do that, I'm going to say, I'm going to stereotype a little bit here, I don't think that they are secure enough in their masculinity to even say that they identify as a woman. Because their yeah. hold on their masculinity is so fragile that yeah. that would like, be something unthinkable to them. Just let people live their goddamn lives without like demonising them and saying that they all want to rape children. Just stop judging people that don't live their life exactly like you. Just let them take like just let them have a shit in a bathroom. It's oh, all they want to do. Yeah. Wanna... Would you feel safe in a bathroom with a someone who says that they're a woman? I don't care. No. I don't care. Do you know why? Because they're either gonna be sat having a shit or washing their hands, neither of which is something I, I'm going to be bothered by. Yeah. Unless they're doing it the wrong way around and shitting in the sink, I don't care. <laughs> it happens. It's crazy. But yeah, fuck JK Rowling. Fuck her. It's, it's a shame that I have to say that. And I say it's, and when I say shame, I mean that um, it wouldn't be clear from the way I've taught in previous podcasts that I don't agree with what she says. But yeah, in case people do think, no, I don't agree with anything she says. No, and it's unfortunate that, yeah, like, something that I really enjoy was made by someone that, it turns out, has really fucking awful views. But you mate, can appreciate the books without needing to like the person that wrote them. Like, mate, I'm a fan of Father Ted. Oh, yeah, that's it's even worse. I've got to deal with that dickhead. Yeah, that's, that's very, very true. Oh, man, so people don't know that's like Graham Linehan. And I'm going to double check and make sure it's still there before I say this. So uh, if you can riff for a second so we can end on this. Uh, where he is a, a horrible, horrible man. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, as it turns out, even though, like, you know, he may have uh, created or wrote, I'm not sure whether he did both, but may, like... Father Ted, the IT crowd, Black Books. Something that is, you know, a funny British comedy TV show. Irish comedy. Uh, you got to yeah. say Irish, because obviously it's, it's very steeped in Irish tradition. Like Father Ted especially. I wasn't sure whether it was Northern or Southern Irish, though. Even still, it's like this. It's still it's a very Irish. Show. Okay, we'll say Irish. We'll say Irish. Apologies if that offended anyone. It's more just that uh, when you say something's English, people don't care. But Scottish, I did say Welsh British. And, yeah, but, uh, like, but it you, might not have been Northern Ireland, so it wouldn't have necessarily been Britain. I do apologize. But, but it's that thing though, where um, if something Scottish people don't like being called British, they like being called Scottish instead of Irish people. In my experience, at least, anyway. Oh, okay. Well, I just don't like being called English, so maybe that's it. That's fair enough. I'm very ashamed. <laughs> it's weird of that, this isn't country. it? Scottish, Welsh, and Irish people. It's like, yeah, I'm Irish. I'm Scottish and Welsh. Proud. When you're English, and I'm British. I don't want to say I'm English because uh, English comes with negative connotations. It comes with those same lager, lout, football hooliganisms we were talking about earlier. But anyway, yeah. yeah. So he's a Graham Linehan. Um, he wrote and cr- and helped create Father Ted Black Books, the IT crowd. He also helped write for the Fast Show and Brass Eye. She's super nice. Brass Eye is really good. Yeah. Thankfully, though, that's mostly Chris Morris, and he is, um, from what I'm aware, a fairly stand-up dude. Okay. So that was mostly him. And uh, he's a horrible, horrible transphobe. And like J.K. Rowling, for some reason, out of nowhere, he just decided, this is what I do now. And all he does is hiss at people on Twitter about this. And in regards to uh, like Daniel Radcliffe, when Daniel Radcliffe came out and said, trans women are women... Mm-hmm. Graham Linehan's response is to call him a horrible misogynist. Like, how dare you treat women so poorly? To which Daniel Radcliffe probably said, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, just go and fuck yourself. 
And the reason I mention it is because like it is so bad that his own Wikipedia page I'm looking at right now has a literal subheading simply titled anti-transgender activism. Oh my god. He has it is uh, and I'm looking at it now. It is bigger. It is it is a bigger section than the section on his career. Oh wow. His career is overshadowed has less stuff to say about it. The guy's got some of the most influential shows ever made. Yeah. For British TV. I was going to say because if people haven't heard of these shows like the just saying the words like Black Book Father Ted, Black Books Father Ted and the IT crowd is like oh my god. Yeah, some of the most um, like uh, prominent and um, well-received TV of all time, and they yeah. have got um, less um, uh, column inches dedicated to them to than his anti-transgender actors. Do you know what the best bit is about all this? Go he on. absolutely refuses to admit that he is, and there is a headline um, where they called like he was interviewed for it, and they called him an outspoke. Uh, they call him straight up. Um, like he's again. He's, he's a bigot. Mm. And he's like, I'm not a bigot. How dare you say this? And he's trying to sue them. And it's like, mate, it was a section of your Wikipedia page called anti-transgender <laughs> activism. He's kind of like, you can't really escape that label. No, not really. And yeah, and there's a couple of things here where he was, uh, in 2019, he was the favourite nominee by viewers to win the Last Legs Dick of the Year Award. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So fuck yeah. that guy. Fuck Graham Lennon. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, he also as well, right? We can just end on this because he did so. In an interview with Newsnight, Linehan reiterated his view that uh, the Tavistock Centre practising treating children with drugs, such as puberty blockers, uh, so for children who are um, experiencing gender dysphoria, and um, he compared it to Nazi eugenics live on television. Oh, my God. What the fuck? So that's just one of the things that he likes doing. Why are we uh, putting this man on the television if he's saying yeah. shit like that? Uh, he also as well, and this is the one where I think he he was very close to getting fucking sued for this. Mm. Um, where just randomly, out of fucking nowhere, some guy tweeted out something like, oh, just um, just some support for transgender people. I, I, I listen to you, I hear your voices. Mm. And Graham Linehan just uh, like retweeted it to his like hundreds of thousands of followers with the word groomer. Uh, if you're American, you don't oh understand like, why that's a really bad thing to accuse somebody of. Uh, that basically means yeah, he's grooming children. You're, you're, it's tantamount to accusing him of paedophilia. Uh, yeah, and he did that like... on Twitter to a person. Yeah, and he's that guy, and... saying that, oh, you're trying to like influence younger people. No, he's not. He, no, he's not trying to say that, Lucas. He is accusing him of grooming children. Oh, no, yeah, I was going, going down that line of like, you know, influencing them to like, in into his path to then yeah insinuate that he's a paedophile and he's saying it live on Twitter to hundreds of thousands of people and that yeah. guy was like what the, you, what the fuck are you doing and oh uh, Linehan despite saying I stand by my statements quietly deleted that tweet when he realised he might get fucking sued I stand by my statements that I don't want to see <laughs> anyway anymore. anyway like, fuck JK Rowling and fuck Gray and Linehan uh, and if they ever happen to get any wind of this, uh, feel free to eat shit and die mad about it in whatever order you choose and then suck <laughs> my fucking balls. I second that message. Trans rights. Foot crashes smash. 